All I can tell you is that assuming that the person who destroyed the painting at the Louvre also destroyed the drunks, he used different methods with each. Thank you, Doctor. Doctor of what? Art and chemistry. Those are two opposite professions. My father wanted me to be a chemist, but my vocation has always been painting. a sacrifice, blessing, or bestiality, the curse of the devil, Satan in control of the body and the mind. My love will destroy the creation. I swear that you'll find it. Welcome to the Nashi Cast. I am Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And we are here again for another Beyond Nashi episode. We're glad you are joining us because today we venture into a whole new realm of Beyond Nashi. <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing the ghostly voice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a whole new country in Beyond Nashi. You know, this is true. This well, is true. I guess sort of yes and no. I mean, it was made <laughs> it was made in Spain, but it has a very very Mexican Mexican slant to it. There. Uh, well, it's definitely got a Mexican slant. It's definitely got a Mexican star. That's right. There you go. There you go. But uh, the reason we're covering it is, of course, it has a lot of Spanish stars mm. as mm. well. Mm. And we'll get into the uh, number of Spanish stars, of course. A lot the of the Nashiverse, yeah. Yeah, yes. a lot of the Nashiverse. Of course, what, we'll, uh, what we're talking about this week, or this month, good Lord, it feels like forever. Mm. What we're talking about this time around, folks, mm. is Santo versus Dr. Death from 1973. Uh, yes, we are venturing into the land of mm. masked Mexican wrestlers, finally. Mm-hmm. Not, not, not as if people have been out there you know, counting the days. Like just clamoring for it. And, but, and really, I don't think we really, for the most of the years we've been doing this, I don't think we really had any idea that, that we would have a legitimate excuse on the Nashi cast to do it. Uh, true, you know, we, we almost would probably had to have been a Bloody Pit episode or something that we would have just... Yeah, uh, a special, you know, Cinco de Mayo or something special or Although, something. Although, once we started to delve into the the IMDb listings for a lot of these actors, and a Santo mm-hmm. film kept popping up here and there, mm-hmm. maybe we should have figured that it was eventually going mm-hmm. to happen. Yeah. Because, yeah. well, you know, it's not like either of us like Santo movies. No, no, not at all, not at all, <laughs> not at all. I, 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 I take my thirty or forty or so and just you know keep them <laughs> hidden in a box all the time. I, I'm just so you're, shun your, them. Your personal, them. your personal shame is that yeah. what you're telling me? <laughs> Well, no. If you've never seen a, 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 an El Santo film, allow us to uh, let you know that uh, you have missed out on some <laughs> wonderful cinema. The uh, the great El Santo, uh, the mask wrestler, the man in the silver mask, uh, is, a, is a, a, an amazing, an amazing film character. But the beautiful thing about El Santo is he wasn't just a film character. He was a real guy. He lived it. He lived it. He lived it, man. He wore that mask. <laughs> he was an actual professional wrestler. He uh, was, well, just an amazing guy. 
And uh, luckily, uh, we uh, have wrangled a, a special guest that we'll talk about here in a little while, and uh, you will hear from, who uh, is a little bit of an expert on El Santo. But uh, before we get to that, this being the Nashy Cast, even though it's a Beyond Nashy episode, we do have exciting news. You may have heard, or maybe you have not, that uh, after a long, long drought, yeah. uh, we are getting back to having some Nashy Blu-ray news. Yeah, yeah. Yes, people. We are having, well, I wouldn't call it a flood, but there is at least a trickle yeah. it, of Nashy news. It definitely started with a whimper, but the but there's even but 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 it's picking up quickly. Yeah. Let's concentrate on a couple of Blu-ray releases. Mm-hmm. One of which is already out, and you already have it in your hot little hands, which would be, uh, well, Crimson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you that's the whimper yeah. I was talking about. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's the whimper. So Crimson is out now on uh, Blu-ray. Uh, have you been able to listen to the commentary track? No, but I'm I'm definitely looking forward to doing that. I, I uh, will I will listen to it certainly before we talk more in depth uh, in a couple months here about uh, about that Blu-ray. Uh, uh, right now, I've not, but uh, Richard Harlan Smith does very good audio commentaries. Yes, and I think I've said on this show before. I'm hoping that I'm hoping he's a fan of the film because you know I'm I'm I'm, I'm hoping he will like be actually examining the film and pointing out qualities that he likes about it because I would like to hear that perspective because we certainly were not that crazy about the film. Yeah. I would like to hear somebody try to convince me that it's a better film than I think it is, you know. So so I'm I'm going to be interested to see what what he's if he just does purely historical background kind of thing on the people involved and that sort of thing and now on the cinema itself or if he actually actively like here's what I like about this film I'd like to hear these opinions you know just to see uh, yeah, that sort of yeah. that whichever, whichever direction he goes I'll be interested in yeah. hearing it because yeah. uh, you're right he does do good uh, he does do good uh, mm-hmm. commentary tracks and the fact that uh, he was willing to sit down and do this movie does show that he has at least some interest in the, in the yeah. film so yeah. looking forward to that uh, the other exciting news which you may or may not have been aware of is that we are also about to get from Vinegar Syndrome a Blu-ray of Count Dracula's Great Love. Mm-hmm. Now this is exciting. That news. is exciting news because much. Count Dracula's Great Love. Even though I do have problems with it, and I do yeah. think it's a it's a it's a bit of a mess. Yes. Uh, that that uh, that messiness is understandable when you know the mm. uh, background of the production and the problems that yeah. were incurred. Right. And uh, I do think it is an absolutely beautiful movie. It is. One of two collaborations with the fantastic director who also made Hunchback of the Morgue with uh, Nashi. Mm-hmm. And uh, the exciting prospect here is that Vinegar Syndrome has been able to put pull together a few interesting uh, extras yeah. for their Blu-ray mm-hmm. of Count Dracula's Great Love. And the best news is that the biggest is the commentary track that Nashi recorded yeah, that, with the film's director, mm-hmm. A few years before his death. That blew me away when I heard they got that. I had no idea such a thing existed. That was pretty Well, that's crazy. just it. I had heard... Now, remember, we we uh, we were we were blessed, thank you, mm-hmm. oh cinema gods, mm-hmm. with the uh, the commentary track that Nashie and the same director mm-hmm. did for Hunchback, Hunchback and More. Right, yeah. Now, yeah. it has been my understanding that they recorded this commentary track, if not the same day, at least mm-hmm. around the same time. Yeah. Um, so, if that is true, that is... Wonderful. It is. Uh, I had heard rumors that this that this commentary track existed, and it may have even been released on maybe some on other, another maybe a, on a German edition or German, something. That's I'm not. That could be very possible. That's yeah. possible. I, yeah. I, I'm sorry, I don't have that information at my fingertips. But the good news is, mm. it is definitely going to be on this Vinegar Syndrome yeah. release of Count Dracula's Great Love, and that is amazing because that yeah. is going to <clears throat> add to our information mm. about this movie. It's it's one more. I can't believe we're getting this kind of insight yeah. 
yes. into such an important Paul Nashie film straight from the man himself. Oh, that is amazing, yeah. Years after the fact. I mean, at this point, mm-hmm. we're, mm-hmm. we're seven years after his death. Yeah. Or yeah. close to seven years after his death. Mm-hmm. And um, to have this kind of dropped into our laps is a, a kind of a kind of gift from the beyond that I never expected to get. Mm-hmm. So I'm very excited about the mm-hmm. Blu-ray of Count Dracula's Great Love, and I want to thank Vinegar Syndrome for mm-hmm. going mm-hmm. out of their way to do this. Mm-hmm. And uh, people, this looks to me to be one of the most exciting Nash releases in uh, whew, 15 years. Easily, since the run of BCI, you know, yeah. DVD releases, yeah. you know, which weren't even Blu-ray. Well, they did one Blu-ray they did before one Blu-ray. they went under, you know. But yeah, so yeah, this is this is this been a long time coming, and hopefully. We'll continue to get them. I'm, I'm excited. Vinegar Syndrome usually just does great work, uh, so I was really excited when when I heard they were going to be doing it. Now, I believe that if you if you want to subject yourself to it, uh, I believe there is a. I think the other Blu-ray news. I think there's a set out there that's going to have Werewolf in the Amazon on it. But uh, that's, a, that's just a DVD release. Oh, it's not a Blu-ray. Yeah. Okay, yeah. it's just a if DVD. I, it's a collection serves. of several films that's yeah. going to have. Yeah, that's going. Okay, I thought that was going to be a Blu-ray, but. Uh, uh, not that I was looking to, be. not that I was, <laughs> not that I was scouring the website to find news on it, but <laughs> but it is one that I would own. Where, it was one that I would Werewolf own. Werewolf in the Amazon. Werewolf in the Amazon. Werewolf in the Amazon. But I would own it if I found it for a, a very very reasonable price. You know, I would probably. Sell I'd it buy it, that so. for a dollar. Yeah, yeah. There you go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> to, to, to quote, <laughs> to quote uh, uh, Robo- Robocop. But uh, that is exciting news. Hopefully, um, if if these do well, if these yeah. if these two films sell well, hopefully other companies, or maybe flood, even hopefully the floodgates will open. Yeah, yeah, or maybe even Vinegar Syndrome or or whoever will get their hands on uh, more Paul mm-hmm. Nashy films mm-hmm. and uh, release more of them for our joy. Yes, yes, more Nashy, more Nashy, <laughs> more Nashy on video, please. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so that's exciting. Yep. Now, one thing that we should tell you is that um, in October. The Nashi cast is going to do a radical thing, and we're actually going to talk about Paul Nashi. Yeah, uh, yeah, I know it's been a long time. I know it's been <laughs> since what January? Well, I think the last time when we covered a film that he had like I think one scene in or something. What was no, that? No, no, was the it last Mortal Sin? Covered, was that the uh, last? No, the last one we covered was a Mucha Sangre, and he had a pretty hefty role in that. No, that's true. That's true. That's true. But that was uh, not a good film. But uh, you're right; he had a pretty good. Yeah, he had, he had, a, pretty he had a good role, role and he was it, yeah. he was fun to see in Mucha Sangre. Yeah, yeah and the, he was. The thing is, what we've decided to do is that because we uh, love October and we love the month of Halloween quite so much, we have mm. decided that we want to do another Paul Nashie film. But what we want to do is we want to do something that we haven't done before. We're going to revisit mm. a Paul Nashie film that uh, we've covered already. Mm. We want to back up, and uh, six years after the fact, we want to take another look at one of the best of Paul Nashie's films, if not the best of his films. That's a debate between mm. Paul Nashie fans all the time. We're going to talk about Horror Rises from the Tomb. Now, when we covered uh, the film originally in our second episode, there were a number of things that we had not really uh, gotten into place. First of all, we were just shocked that we were doing a second episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to, be, to be blunt. Yeah. So uh, one of the things that uh, this this will allow us to do is to um, talk a little bit more in depth. We, we won't go through uh, the entire plot I think that what we'll do is uh, talk generally about the plot of Horror Rises from the Tomb, mm-hmm. delve into our uh, favorite bits of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, this time we'll, we, we've mastered the technique of actually including clips from the film. That's true. That was before our, <laughs> our, our yeah, it was a very dry podcast we were doing in those first few episodes before we this discovered, discovered the wonders of technology, what can be done. Yes, yes, yes. I, I no longer fear the editing bay. So, <laughs> the, so in October, we're going to do a Nashicast revisited episode, and we're going to talk about Horror Rises from the Tomb. 
Uh, we will also spend a little bit of time uh, talking about Crimson because mm. of the Blu-ray. Yeah, yeah. Uh, by then, we will uh, we will have tried very hard to mm. listen to. Uh, It'll be, it'll be hard for me to listen to the commentary track <laughs> of Crimson and talk a little bit about that. And also, if uh, we have our hot little hands on it, because I think it's supposed to be released by October, uh, we'll talk about uh, the Blu-ray of Count Dracula's Great Love. And essentially, the you can look upon the, uh, the our talks about those particular Blu-rays as essentially kind of uh, reviews of mm. those releases mm. of the films, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yep. That is what we'll be doing in October here on the Nashi Cast. A return to Nashi. Maybe that's mm-hmm. what I should call it. Yeah. <laughs> a, re- or a return to Nashiville. Yeah, yeah. Or the musk rises again. <laughs> or the musk strikes back. How about that? The musk strikes back. I like that. Hey, I like yeah. that. Hey, there the we go. The musk strikes back. There we go. <laughs> so uh, that's what you get look, to, to look forward to on the Nashi Cast in October. Uh, next month, Troy and I have uh, all the plans in the world to do another Kaiju. Kaiju. Another, another Kaiju for the Bloody Pit, uh, continuing our King Ghidorah files, as we call them. Yep. Uh, this will be, uh, after the high, high, high point of Destroy All Monsters, it's going to be interesting to see how we uh, deal with, uh, uh, what shall we say is, uh, I, I, this is kind of like, Gid- this Ghidorah's uh, Death Wish 2 or 3, I think, is what this is. <laughs> isn't it? This is like, <laughs> I don't, I'm sorry, oh, that was probably, that's, that was probably that's a, a terrible one. That was, it, I, I know, yeah, it's, it's a... That's- <laughs> I was trying to think of a. I was trying to think of a great actor and kind of like there was a part of me that wanted to call it to, it like to, Jaws three or well you know okay that's okay I'll, I'll go with that I'll go with that except it's not in three D but anyway it's 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 Godzilla versus it's probably Gigan actually I've always called him Gigan I probably will continue to call him Gigan it's actually probably pronounced Gigan but it's Godzilla versus Gigan otherwise known as Godzilla on Monster Island. And that will be the next one that we're going to be doing in September in our King Ghidorah files. That'll be over on the Bloody Pit, where uh, we we do something other than focus on Spanish horror films. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and uh, if you join us over there, trust me, the things have gotten interesting. Boy, the feedback I'm getting on the James Bond episode with me and Mark oh, Maddox. Oh, I can oh. only imagine, because I had a ringside seat to that one, so boy. I, <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was going to have to separate these two guys. I thought I was going to have to call the hotel security uh Oh God! I, there's nothing more fun than getting Maddox fired up. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! <laughs> and, then, and then watching him deflate, as, <laughs> and then watching him deflate as yeah. as you intrigue him with some thought yeah. that hasn't occurred to him. It's just beautiful. It's a fun thing. But um, <clears throat> that is a, that, those are the podcasting plans for the mm-hmm. for, for the foreseeable future. We have a few other things up our sleeves for the rest of the year, but the, right now that's all the teas you get. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, well, uh, we should mention that uh, you'll be doing a little. Guest piece on That's an true. episode of the Bloody Pit that yeah. will be focused on Star Crash. Yes, there's going to be uh, two two. Yes, you'll be getting two Bloody Pits in the September, and I will just have well, a little. Let's let's not let's, let's, well, not, let's, let's who, we, who knows how quickly I'll edit. Yeah, that's true. When it's actually released, but coming up at some time, yes, I will have a cameo on a uh, on a star studded episode of Bloody Pit, which is going to have uh, some people you've listened to over the last few years. Uh, I heard on various episodes. I think. Uh, I believe we'll have Jeff Nelson, John Hudson, Randy Fox as yep. the plans, and I'll, along with Rod. All because let's face it, uh, no two people born can really tackle the 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 monument that is is Star Crash and <laughs> and, and wrap their minds around. So this, we felt this one needed this one needed a, a gang assault here on it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. This this one's going to have to be difficult, and uh, mm. uh, it was it, we all knew it was going to be uh, a difficult task to cover Star Crash, and so we all have decided to shoulder that burden mm. and help each other out and make it through. Hopefully, with only a few wounds. So. <laughs> Uh, those are the uh, upcoming things. And so right now what we'd like to do is before we take a break, I want to explain uh, that before you hear Troy and I dive
dive into our discussion of Santo versus Dr. Death, you're going to hear our very special guest. I got to sit down via Skype, the mysterious mm-hmm. world of Skype. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, uh, I sat down and talked with Juan from the Creepy Swamps. If you are a fan of the B-Movie cast, you know who Juan is. And uh, Juan, b- besides being the man who uh, helps feed, uh, mm-hmm. well, both Troy and my, my own uh, hunger for uh, subtitled uh, Mexican horror yeah. films, Santo films, obviously, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as a as a business, uh, sells these lovely things, which are just not otherwise available, the uncut, unaltered, full-strength <laughs> Mexican horror films. <laughs> it's exactly yes. the kind of stuff I love and need. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So, Juan is an expert on El Santo. He has seen, well, pretty much all of them, if not all of them. And the fact that he actually, you know, can speak Spanish means that <laughs> there's no language barrier for him. Right, right. So yeah, yeah. That yeah. is a beautiful thing. So, I decided, time to sit down. Learn what we can learn from one of the masters, one of the people who actually knows a lot about this particular subject. So he was nice enough to sit down and indulge me and answer my questions about Santo and, of course, Santo versus Dr. Death. Uh, of course, I couldn't let him escape without quizzing him about his favorite Santo films, yeah. and so the uh, conversation does expand quite a bit. So Cool. Next up, uh, right after the break, you will hear uh, my conversation with Juan, and then Troy and I will be back. We let things pile up in the DVR. We add them to our queues. We wait for the DVDs and Blu-rays. We time shift. The Time Shifters podcast. Sci-fi, horror, fantasy, superheroes, comedy, action, film, television, maybe some not-so-current events. Find us on iTunes or at timeshifterspodcast.com. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Ah, necrophilia. Ah, ah, ah. It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema PsyOps is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this? No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, crude. I know, really. Right? The next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most serious of senses, disappointed in it. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of. It's unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept Little history up. doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you, you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How be did a rough you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. All right, everybody. Uh, we've got a special guest on this episode. I knew when Troy and I decided to uh, step outside of our comfort comfort zone and talk about a Sento film, I was going to probably need to do a, a lot of extra research or be lazy and find somebody who already knew about this stuff. So, being lazy, I have found someone who knows a good bit, of, um, a little bit anyway. 
about Santo movies. Today, we have special guest Juan from the Creepy Swamps. If you know anything about the ooh, podcasting and the B-movie cast, you will recognize Juan. And all I can say is that I am impressed with my ability to uh, find and contact and beg properly to get people like this to come on the show. So, Juan, thank you very much <laughs> for joining me today to talk about thank you. Santo. Thank you so much, Rod, for having me on the podcast this morning. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, I, I uh, you know, it's uh, as a as a huge aficionado of uh, El Mascarado de Plata, as we call him in Spanish, the silver masked man, many call him. Uh, and of course, K. Gordon, K. Gordon Murray, uh, that was the name that he used in most of his films when he did the dubbing, the horrible dubbing of Samson. <laughs> But anyway, yes, I I, uh, I am a aficionado of all the uh, basically 50-plus films that Santo did in his entire career besides the amazing wrestling. Yes. Well, thank you for having me on the show. Oh, I, I, I thank you very much. You're going to bring the level of knowledge about this film up to a level that we would never be able to reach our own. So <laughs> um, – Let's talk about this film for just a second, just in general. First of all, uh, the film is Santo vs. Dr. Death, and it came out in uh, 1973. Uh, now, in that year, from what I can tell, uh, Santo was in, uh, let's see, three films that year? Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, this film was tied in very much like back-to-back -back with another one that he did, Santo Contra Los Secuestradores, which is Santo versus the Kidnappers. Hmm. It's, it's an incredible title, but anyway, yes, uh, it was a series of films that would later be known to uh, everybody that followed Santo in the 70s or throughout the 70s as his, uh, having the huge influence with Bond films, with the spy films. Yeah, and you can see the Bond influence heavily in this film. Yes. Mm -hmm. Now, the uh, the thing that just really impressed me is that I always thought that uh, the heyday for Santo's film career was the 60s, and it kind of slowed down in the 70s. But it's clear, looking at the list of titles, that no, it really didn't, because this film came out in 73, but in 1972, he was in 1, 2, 3, 4, five six movies which is amazing right uh he was it was back to back for him i mean he continuously went on to do many many films but the 70s was an era where he no longer was the mystical crime fighting superhero of the 60s where he was battling and fighting all hordes and um, uh, monsters uh the vampire women vampires werewolves zombies and so forth uh he did away from having his nostalgic look with the cape uh and his his tights his wrestling tights which he wore in the earlier films uh i guess he wanted to have more of a uh, uh, uh a man looking persona wearing suits uh wearing turtleneck sweaters wearing uh, uh polos that uh, distinguish him as a uh, not as a uh, uh, classic superhero, but he was still a hero. But now he had uh, his uh, jet set style looking uh, <laughs> with his with his suits and outfits of this no nature throughout the seventies. But he still did all these films in the seventies, even some of the monster ones that he did. Uh, uh, the daughter of Frankenstein, you know, the uh, Revenge of the Crying Woman. 
which he also did with his pal. He wore the typical uh, turtleneck sweaters, suits, and so forth. Even the one that we did uh, back, you know, on the B movie cast, which was the Santo versus the the Sex and the Vampire, Vampiro and El Sexo, uh, from 1968, and uh, a, a started Santo as wearing a suit or wearing, you know, getting away from that. Uh, the persona that he was in the early 60s well yeah in this movie he's just uh he's just a guy who's wearing normal everyday clothes uh mm-hmm. when he's out of the ring except that of course he keeps his mask on and that's the only thing right. that really sets him apart uh other than of course he's awesome i mean he's always awesome well you know it's amazing that you say that rod because of the fact that you know if we look at the the, the beginning of the film uh and when he actually arrives in madrid uh, you know, from his flight, he gets off the plane, and here he is. You see him with his mask on, and he's going through the airport, and he got hordes of reporters and people just storming after him, wanting to interview him or ask him questions, and he's got his mask on. Uh-huh. You know, this is some. Something unheard of today, you would never see that. I mean, uh, I had the great opportunity to be an escort for the great Blue Demon Jr. Uh, at the Monster Bash last year in October, and uh, I picked him up at the airport. And lo and behold, uh, he came and uh, he didn't have his mask on. Of course, uh, those days are gone where, you know, hey, you know, freedom to wear a mask going through the airport, getting on a plane, <laughs> off a plane. That's incredible, you know? <laughs> yeah, good point. I hadn't really thought about that. When Now that you think of yeah. it, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the idea, especially in the 70s, because, of course, there, there were uh, all those uh, uh, air air, uh, air hijackings, the, the air jackings where people right. were were uh, taking controls of planes and forcing them down in places where they wanted to go because they were trying to leave countries that they wanted to get away from. And that was, exactly. that was big in the 70s. And I <laughs> having somebody walking around in a mask, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess that's just another element of the... Uh, well, I, I, I don't know if it adds to the fantasy element of the film or if it's just a time when people didn't think about these things for some reason. No, basically, it was probably not thought of back, you know, the early 70s. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm talking early 70s. I, 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 you know, watching these films and seeing that the, that influence that we talked about earlier. The Bond influence, of course, was all in his exclusive wearing suits, being very uh, nonchalant, you know, the, that typical type of character, you know, where you're an Interpol agent or you're a secret agent. And that's what he was. Uh, you know, actually, Santo started out his career uh, as a uh, double agent, secret agent, Interpol, however you want to call it. Uh, his first film that really kicked it over was in 1967, which was Operation 67. Operación 67. There he actually, you could see where he was getting away from battling the monsters, though he was still doing it because, you know, there were still many, many monster movies between 67 and 73 when this film came out. He wanted to try the taste of being a super secret agent, and I guess it worked for him. It did. Oh, I agree. It very much did. And and the fact that the the whole series of Santo movies, they're, the, you'll have him battling monsters, then you'll have him doing, like he is in this film, where he's essentially just a, a kind of secret agent, a James Bond and and that's kind of fascinating because it allowed uh, the producers of the films to to have a lot of different plot ideas. They didn't have to refer mm. back to something in the past and go, okay, well, let's have him fight mm-hmm. a werewolf again or whatever. 
they could do a lot of different things. So you, 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 can, you can look at the list of the credits and you have him battling mummies. And then the very next one is a Caribbean adventure where it's, uh, you know, also known as the mystery of the black pearl. And then he exactly Frankenstein's daughter and then suicide mission, which is another spy tale. And, and it's great exactly. because you, you mm-hmm. that you could feel like you could, um, if you were a fan at the time and you were heavy, heavily into watching all the Santo movies, you could watch them all and have something different all the time. Or if you were just interested in the monster movies, you could just concentrate on those and only go see those. Oh, he's only going to the Bermudas to do to deal with uh, some evil scientist. Ah, I don't want to see that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's right. You're absolutely right there, right? I mean, uh, again, he he was such a, a huge influence, and he covered all the areas as far as filmmaking and doing a horror film. Uh, he even did a western. My God, he mm-hmm. was you know he did a western where he. He was riding around in a horse and being a hero fighting uh, lepers. I mean, uh, that's the kind of that's the kind of uh, man that he was, mystical hero. You know, I mean, he uh, his persona for many many years, uh, 60, 50 plus years that he ever since he started out in the in the fifties, and of course he started out way before that. I'm talking the thirties and the forties as his initial t- rings and in, uh, being a wrestler in Mexico. But uh, no, uh, he is such a mystical character. He was and he has been to this very day that uh, I guess this is one of the reasons why I've been in Mexico quite a few times, Rod. I've I've traveled uh, quite a few times. As a matter of fact, every other year I try to go down there and I try to see what I can find in reference to uh, Mexican wrestling and, 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 and in the genres in this field as far as anything pertaining that uh, that is not known here or that I might have passed. Uh, but many, many fans are still searching and looking for those rare Santo films. And these films from the 70s uh, has a whole different fan base when it involves the uh, secret agent type thing, the Interpol and the Bond films. Okay, when I first started seeing Santo movies, of course, I was seeing the uh, the 1960s films, the black and white ones, and of course, initially the ones that were dubbed in English by Kay Gordon Murray. And mm-hmm. uh, that's a whole level of fascinating. And I absolutely love those movies. And, well, okay, let me say that up front. I've never seen a Santo movie I didn't enjoy. And oh. even even the ones that people talk about as not being as good, and I can see that, okay, the script falls down, or this one's too silly in certain spots. I still love them because at their heart, they're these great hero tales. But when I, when I started finally seeing some of the... Uh, some of the Santo films that were made in the late 60s and all the way through the 70s that are in color that didn't get brought over here and dubbed into English, so I'm watching them with subtitles. I started to feel like the films, in a way, kind of got better as they went along. It's as if at some point they started really buckling down and saying, no, 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 if we're going to do this, these are so successful, we can be real quality filmmakers. We can make these movies as good as we can make them. And that's when you get yeah. to something like this movie, uh, Santo versus Dr. Death, which is early 70s. Mm-hmm. And it's a, a really 
here's what shocked me. Uh, I don't know why it shocked me, considering what I just said, but it really shocked me how good the film is. And I said this to somebody just the other day. I was describing having watched the film for the first time, and I said, it's really good. It's not just Santo good. It's actually good. <laughs> and yes. he knew exactly what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. No, the film, the film, uh, this film is basically... It has the horror elements in there, believe it or not. It has the the evil scientist uh-huh. elements to there. It has the mystical uh, uh, castle elements to there. It has uh, very much so. Even though it's a spy Interpol type movie, you know, involving with uh, you know uh, uh, art. Uh, it still has the horror elements, and this is why this is a very good film. Likewise, you know the other film that he did that followed this one, like, like I said, Santo versus the Kidnappers, and there was also another one right after this. It's called Santo uh, Faces Death, which is another one again. Uh, this one's done in Colombia. Uh, he's traveled the world, and he's liked to you know experiment and go into different countries. And I guess he really enjoyed going to 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 Spain to do this film. He enjoyed going to Colombia. He enjoyed going to uh, the, the Caribbean, where the Black Pearl was shot. You know, and uh, elements of Haiti and some of the islands in the Caribbean. So he really wanted to expand his persona worldwide by doing this, you know. And I was really impressed with the fact that this takes place in Europe. And it's clear that, I mean, they, they, they definitely go to Madrid. They appear mm-hmm. to have actually gone to Paris. So at this point, they're clearly willing to spend the money to globe hop. They're going around the world, just like the Bond movies, and moving from place to place. The film starts in, in Mexico, goes to Paris, goes to Madrid, I, I was just really surprised. I did not expect that when I sat down to watch the film. I didn't expect them to move anywhere outside of Mexico. And when they right. started to globe hop, I was really shocked. Yeah, you could see it very much when the wrestling scenes of the film. There's actually three wrestling uh, scenes in the film. Hmm. And they're all shot in uh, in Madrid. And the uh, arena, uh, one of the uh, wrestling uh, stadiums in Madrid. Because if you look at the, the crowd, the typical crowd in the ring and, you know, the cheering and the yelling, this is not your typical Mexican crowd. This is your Spanish crowd. And you could tell, you could really tell between looking at the Santo films from Mexico when he was fighting in the Arena Mexico or the uh, Arena Mexico. And you can see the crowds there, the Mexican yelling, Santo, Santo. And you see the crowds in, in the, 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 the wrestling scenes in this film, you could definitely tell, even the announcer, you know, you could tell that's all done right there in Madrid, in Spain. Well, uh, really quickly, let me run just briefly through the plot of the film, and then I wanted to discuss a few specific things in it and how it relates to some of the other Santos, Santo movies in the, that came before this and some that maybe came after it. Uh, cool. The film is uh, essentially kind of a, a mad scientist story with uh, a twist. The movie starts with us seeing a, a cat burglar, a very athletic man, break into a, uh, a museum and instead of stealing something, he just sprays this gas on a very <laughs> famous painting. Uh-huh. And then he leaves. We see the painting uh, be sh- uh, shipped overseas to another museum. But when it ar- arrives where it was, it's clear that what this fellow was doing was he was spraying something on the painting to damage it. Um, mm-hmm. 
this turns out to be the plot of the film, which is that the main bad guy, our mad scientist, Dr. Man, I love Dr. Man. It's like Dr. Person. I don't know. So <laughs> he has set this up with his team and he's done it before where he'll get a, a paint, a famous painting damaged. He's a painting restorer. He will arrange for the painting to be restored, but he has this process where he can duplicate perfectly the painting and through a series of uh, convoluted and very strange uh, <laughs> plottings, he <laughs> keeps the original for himself because he's one of those mad lunatics who must own the original works of art and then ships the, uh, the repaired painting off to be seen in galleries and museums around the world. Here's where it gets interesting. So the damaged painting, this whole thing is being investigated by Interpol. So they contact Santo because he's going to be going to Madrid as part of a series of uh, championship wrestling matches that he's doing in Spain. And so that's great cover for sending him over to investigate this uh, bit of vandalism. So we send Santo over he meets up with a, a Spanish counterpart there who becomes his partner throughout the film. And then we learn just how much of a mad scientist this uh, art thief is because his process for copying these paintings involves creating fibroid tumors within women, killing them, extracting the tumor, and using that tumor to somehow magically allow him to perfectly copy these paintings. Now, that's never explained. There's this great big machine, and we see him, you know, cutting the, the tumors out of the women and stuff like that. And, but somehow, uh -huh. this incredible mad scientist process allows him to copy these paintings perfectly. Uh, I love that. That's, that's mad scientist you know, like 201 he's like reached a separate level or he's he's like he's got like three three balls in the air at the same time gotta kidnap uh -huh. the women gotta get your hands on the painting <laughs> gotta create the tumor in the woman i mean it's a multi-step process you gotta admire this man's skills at planning if nothing else so i was stunned by how intricately plotted carefully written and just well laid out the entire movie is because once santo starts his investigation it's a serious intelligent well thought out investigation none of this has any ridiculous leaps of logic he's not putting two and two together and getting eight he's actually going places asking questions finding out about past instances where things like this have happened and he's investigating it's very well done because all the pieces are slowly put together by him and by the time he and his partner have managed to uh get a female Interpol agent inserted into uh, the mad scientist stable of, of female models so that they can find out if something fishy is going on there. Everything ramps up a little higher, and that's where we get even more of the cool horror elements that you were talking about, as if, you know, mm -hmm. having a mad scientist <laughs> chaining up women well, you could and, and killing them it, wasn't mad scientist right. enough. 
you could tell the, you could tell that uh, he was really definitely mad. Uh, you know, due to the fact that not only did he have all these women, he would kidnap and put him in these dungeons and keep them there, but he would also create the viruses in them that uh, creates the tumors, I so know. he could extract the tumors from them. Being that once the tumors are out of them, hey, I have no need for this woman anymore, and then send her down the chute into the vat of acid pit. Oh. My God, that is so typical. I remember a film, real quick, that had that particular scene at the very end of the film, which was I Was a Teenage Frankenstein. If you huh? look at the very end of I, I Was a Teenage Frankenstein, you see Whit Bissell, the professor running, and he, he grabs him and throws him down the chute, and he land, he goes into the vat of uh, alligators there in the pit. But anyway, <laughs> no, th- th- this man is, this, this, this doctor is really... He's bonkers. He's nuts. And I guess the obsession of having all these rare paintings in his collection uh, drove him to, you know, this is the way I can get these. But it is kind of weird, though, the way he did that. (laughs) Oh, it's completely weird. And I love every minute of it because the actor's fantastic. The actor's a a fellow I've seen in a number of European films. And, uh, of course, that's Mm -hmm. the reason we're covering the movie is that so many of the actors in this movie – uh, are Spanish actors who turned up in so many different Paul Nashi films. And, uh, of course, you yes. have the, the amazing Helga Linné. You have uh, uh, Myrta mm-hmm. Miller, who's the uh, female Interpol agent. And uh, mm-hmm. the actor playing the mad scientist uh, who, oh, darn it, I've, uh, hold on, I'll remember his name. It's um, it's George Rigard, R-I-G-A-U. In Spanish, we would say Jorge Rigaud. Uh, uh, George's regard, Jorge's regard. Yeah, he would uh, he would um, uh, anglicize his name for uh, the credits of a lot of the mm-hmm. movies he was in. But he's right. he was in uh, a lot of great Spanish movies over the years, and especially in the seventies. He's 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 uh, he's very memorable in things like Horror Express and Eyeball mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. he's very charming in this role. He is the he is a great charming mad scientist, and I love that thing near the end where uh, Santo is confronting him. Or it's actually Paul, his um, his assistant, who his ca- partner, tells yeah. him he's insane. He says, you're crazy. And the mad scientist kind of chuckles and and wistfully goes, yeah, maybe. <laughs> so he's, he's self-aware enough to know that he's probably nuts. And so that's fine. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the thing. By the time this film was made, Santo was globe hopping. I mean, they were spending the money to go and make these movies in other countries and really having obviously a lot of success. You don't make six movies in a single year and not be making a lot of money off these things. So Mm -hmm. obviously they were huge hits in the home country in Mexico. And I'm assuming that going to Europe, uh, going to Spain specifically, obviously these films got distributed in Spain as well and, and did well there. Do you know just how profitable the films were in the 70s? Well, let me tell you this, Rod. I know for sure for a fact that uh, the first five years of the, you know between 1970 75 you know in his making of all the movies he did he did profit somewhat generated a larger sum amount than some of the earlier ones that he did in the 60s because he had a hiatus there in the 1960s you know his first two films were in 1958 in Cuba and then he, there was a little a little span of maybe two or three years and it jumped up to 61 and that's when he kicked off again and started doing a series of films in the early 
60s. But then that hiatus stopped in 64, 65, and he had a two- or three-year leap there to 67. And then when he started out in the 70s, he was running back-to-back-to-back pretty much films between 70, 75, 77, 79, 70. I mean, every practically two or three films a year up until 1982 or 83. And I would have to say that, yes, he did generate quite a bit of uh, money, more, much more than what he did in the early 60s doing the films in the 70s. I'm just saying, if you're making that many movies that fast, you're, you're clearly your fan base is huge. People are going to see these movies. There's a lot of ticket sales. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, I'm just impressed. I, I just... I wonder how big a star he was all over the world because he could clearly have made a mint just being a star in Mexico. But uh, the fact that they were venturing all over the place and, and bringing in all these different actors from different countries as well, it just makes me think that they must have been highly successful there as well. I have a, yes, a kind uh, of a sideline question for you. One of the things that uh, in my research has really started to fascinate me are all the the things other than the movies, kind of things that stemmed from the movies that uh, existed out there in the uh, the sixties and seventies from Santo. And one of those things, and I'm I, I'm curious if you know much about them. I'm sure you've seen them. Are some of the Santo comic books? Uh, I'm a comic book nutcase. And I just I love them to death. I've been I've been reading them since uh, birth, and I. Well, I got to I, I got to tell you the Santo comic books. Okay, basically, I'll talk a little bit about that if you don't mind. Yes. Uh, I have a, an extreme collection of his early comics. Okay, Santo comic fanzine in Mexico started in 1955. Believe it or not, wow. uh, there was a gentleman by the name of Jose G. Cruz who initiated the initial art to do a, a fanzine, a, a comic book in Mexico of the Santo character. These comics were like done in a sepia tone color. They were not natural black and white or full color. They were like a sepia tone color throughout the entire comic. And the 19, uh, there was a few in the 50s that are highly rare. I don't have any of the ones in the 50s. They're extremely very rare uh, and in demand. But I do have the ones from the 60s. He was doing them all the way up and through the 70s. He also did the novellas. Now, there was a comic book and a novella that he did the same way, which was like a thick book-like comic fanzine and it was the same type of sepia tone color in the throughout the comic and in these comics he was fighting monsters witches vampires uh he was fighting evil uh scientists and uh he was a spy and he was doing all everything that he did in the movies and this is the reason why you know the books are highly sought after and to me i i just love these comics i like reading going back and reading again and again because the stories if you look you read these stories and you go into the details of what you know what what his persona is throughout that particular issue it's amazing that uh, he was able to carry that with the comic books from the 1955 all the way through the mid 70s you know oh they didn't stop publication until the 70s oh that's awesome. oh right right 
And it was it was it was going on. It went on through you know all of the '60s and then into the '70s. In in uh, late '70, I would say between '76 and '79, '78, the comics were still done. Now, the, a much smaller type comic book, almost like a uh, like a little uh, a little um, digest type. Mm-hmm. And uh, the character of Santo, the original Santo, was not the same. There was another wrestler, another man who portrayed Santo, actually wore the mask, but he had a big S on, on the top of his mask, and he had a, a huge belt with an S on it. Uh, you know, he had like a bathing, a bathing trunk, and uh, he was completely, uh, how do you call it, nude from the top up. He didn't have no, no cape, no nothing. He was just that type of a Santo, but it was not him, you can tell, but he carried on to do the comic books. And this is the reason for this, Rod, was because of the fact that in the years of 1972, 73, and on to the 1980s, Santo was so extremely busy doing these films that we're talking about today that he didn't have the time to continue to do the comic book. And this is the reason why you had a different character portraying Santo in these little fanzines. As someone who uh, really wants to see some of these, and I, I'm obsessive about wanting to get my hands on some of these, I know I don't want to pay the exorbitant prices of trying to get some of the originals. Has there been a, a, an effort to reprint any of this stuff? Yes, there is. Uh, you could actually get almost the entire collection of these uh, magazines, comic books, fanzines. There is actually people in, well, not here, but uh, countries like Argentina, uh, Peru, and some of the South American countries that actually have had these collections and they transfer them over to uh, on CD. So you could actually, you know, you, if you go on, even eBay has them, you can go online and you can purchase the CDs really cheap, like 10 bucks. Wow. And you can get almost the entire collection of the comic books on CD. And, of course, I'm aware that this is uh, not going to be English-friendly, but I don't even really care. I just want to see this stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, they're, they're, they're really great. I mean, I've, I ordered a couple of them myself because there was a lot of issues that I didn't have. I don't have every single issue. I would love to. But I do have a major part of them. I mean, a lot of the ones from the 60s and some of the early ones from the 70s. And they're so much fun. Uh, I, I, you know, I loved sharing them, you know, with my friends and, and some of the listeners that were at the show back in July at the Monster Bash. And uh, they really looked at them. I, I sold quite a few. And uh, they just wanted just to have one in the collection. You know, I said, well, I have now have an original Jose G. Cruz Santo comic book. <laughs> Well, listen, I've got a a broader question for you. I'm assuming that you've seen most of the Santo movies. Am I right? Absolutely, yes. Okay. Um, If you were asked, and I'm asking, to put together a list of your five favorite Santo movies, what would they be? You don't have to rank them best to to least favorite, just uh, the, the five that are your favorites. Well, I have to tell you, Rod, uh, you know, my I, I love them all. I mean, they, they, you know, every single one, even to the very, believe it or not, the so campy, campy version of the film that he did, his last film uh, in 1984, 83, 84, just before he passed away. The title is really crazy. Santo versus <laughs> the the TV terror. The uh, uh, <laughs> de la televisión. The you know, assassin from TV. It had to do with TV. And, uh, uh, you Santo know, versus to, the TV killer? The TV, right. The TV 
TV killers. And uh, I tell you what, I mean, the title didn't make no sense, but, you know, it was already at the very end, his last film, you know, and we could see there that he was not going to be doing any more films. But anyway, my my favorites, I would say top five. You know, I have to say over and over again that Santo versus the Vampire Women Santo contra las mujeres vampiros is, is the top of my list right there. Um, being the fact that it was the second one after he did Santo versus the zombies, uh, it was the second one that actually influenced the women vampire, and it was actually the film, the second film for Lorena Velasquez, who was the the she was the vamp in a lot of the Santo films, and she was also uh, one of the few women in Mexico who was Mexico in 1957. Um, to really know the secret identity of Santo that was revealed to him in the movie Santo versus the Zombies, which was the first one after he did the ones in Cuba. My favorite, of course, was Santo versus the Vampire Women. And then I would have to say to me, the next one that would follow that one, because of the fact that I just, I tell you, I have, I love his black and white films. And I just really enjoy them was the Santo versus the King of Crime to me was the second one because the fact that that particular film uh, has its origin story in there. When he was a little boy and how, you know, in school he was always, you know, fighting and trying to protect the other kids. And uh, he comes home to learn that his father, as a matter of fact, was Rene Cardona Jr., was a Santo, but retired already. He retired from the rings, and now little Santo is going to be able to accept that, that challenge and accept the mask. That, to me, and, you know, I love that film. It's Santo versus the King of Crime was the second one there. Uh, followed by the zombies, of course. You know, zombies as we know them today are the zombies as we knew them back then. These were just humanoid robotic type monsters walking around in skin tights with bands on their head trying to say, we're zombies. And I tell you what, I love that film. That's one, another one. That's my third one, uh, The Zombies. Then I have to jump up to uh, the 1968 production of Santo and the Treasure of Dracula. Yeah. And this one because uh, Santo and the va- uh, uh, el Vampiro, el, el Sexo, the Vampire and the Sex is the name because it was the lost film that, of course, you know, uh, Valgada did two, two versions of the film. He did one in Mexico, which was the, uh, the the black and white version, Santo and the Treasure of Dracula. But he also shot simultaneously for European international release, which a vampire, a vampiro, and el sexo, which was the vampire and the sex. And that one was shot in color. And to me, having having had Maura Monti, who's one of my favorite all-time Mexican, besides Lorena Velasquez, she's my second one in the film and this film is so much very close to the Dracula story of the Hammer films and the Dracula that we know with the Van Helsing character uh, I really enjoyed Santo and the Treasure of Dracula so that to me would be the the third one followed up by Santo and of course now we have another mask legend aiding and fighting with Santo is this blue demon and uh, my fourth film with Santo, of course, was Santo and Blue Demon versus the Monsters. And here we see, again, you know, uh, the persona of Santo now being helped with Blue Demon fighting all these crazy monsters. 
we got a creature, we got a mummy, we got a werewolf, we got a uh, an evil witch, we got a, a Dracula character, and we have a Frankenstein character, and all these monster elements are there. So that right there is my fourth one. And then, lo and behold, my fifth one, I got to tell you, it's, it's not one of the black and whites, but it's actually a, a color version of Santo versus the Riders of Terror. That's my other one, which is uh, the fifth that I really enjoy a lot. Being the uh, Santo versus the Riders of Terror is a film, Rod, that was also simultaneously shot by the director to have a version with nudity in it that, of course, you know, the the Vampiro and El Sexo was uh, the European version had all the nudity in there. And then the Riders of Terror also had a version, the Lepers of Terror, that had had nude scenes in it that Santo was not aware but was shot by the directors uh, simultaneously. He never knew that these films were done had he would have known, I mean, because he was all against ha- having any kind of uh, nudity in his films because it would have destroyed his image as a uh, Mexican legend or superhero in Mexico, the Santo character. So um, Santo versus the Riders of Terror is uh, is the other one that I really, really enjoy. Those are really pretty much my top five films, Rod, and uh, uh, not to mention all the other ones in between that he did. Uh, there were so many. There was another origin story that he did where he's actually a count back in the <laughs> 1600s. He's a musketeer character, and this is called uh, El Baron Bracola, Baron Bracola. And uh, here he is fighting Dracula that has revived from the 16th century back during the days of the Musketeers. And in that period, his, his heritage, Santos' uh, heritage from back goes back then, is a famous uh, Musketeer who's also wearing a, a, a golden outfit. He has a silver outfit, a cape, and he has a mask, but he's not covered with a, a luchador mask. He has a, a mask across his face like a Zorro-type character. So I can't, I, I can't wait to see that one. Tell me something. That is an the, awesome. Uh, Santo versus the Riders of Terror, the one that has the, the separate adult version. The le- It's called mm-hmm. The Lepers and the Sex? Yeah, uh, The Lepers and the Sex. That's correct. That's the is it one possible where... to see the uh, the adult-rated version? Well, you know, uh, I got to tell you, Rod, that, that you know, I, I had quite a few years uh, researching and trying to obtain the the Santo versus the Treasure of Dracula or the Vampire and the Sex, and I, able to obtain a copy with the English subtitles. Of course, that you know we aired on our on the on the B movie cast, but mm-hmm. the, the lepers and the sex is a extremely. I would have to say that it's locked in key under the vaults. And uh, again, you know, you get you, this particular film. I have I have seen actual uh, still shots film with the nude scenes in there and the women. But I got to tell you, it's just as uh, just as raunchy as the uh, the treasure of Dracula. So, but I am in the hunt to try and obtain a version of this, the lepers and the sex. If you know, if I can uh, get a hold of of that one, because it is such a good film and it, it's a color film. It has Santo out in the west, and you know the idea of uh, these 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 lepers riding around the countryside, terrorizing all the villagers, and uh, he's out there, you know, riding his horse to the sunset, you know, to save humanity from all the lepers. It's really cool. It's a cool concept, Rod. <laughs> I love that. No matter how many of the Santo movies I've seen, they're still a couple of dozen that I haven't seen. I think it's 
fascinating. I love these mm-hmm. movies so much. And one of the ones you named in your top five is one of the first that I ever saw subtitled. In other words, one of the first that I saw that I was, I knew I was seeing the uncut film, not K Gordon murrayed uh, if that's even a good way to put it, which was uh, Santo and the Blue Demon versus Dracula and uh, the Wolfman. And that's oh, from 72. Okay. Uh, well, but that was yes. when you when you start talking about mixing Santo and Blue Demon and then fighting multiple monsters in the title. I got to be there. I got to see that. And so <laughs> when I saw that in uh, the 1990s on a bootleg subtitled videotape, I was in heaven, man. I was. I thought there's hey. a whole world of movies like this out there, and I have just scratched the surface. Must see more. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I was gonna say that the the character that was uh, Dracula in uh, the Treasure of Dracula, Vampiro and Sexo, was also the Dracula count in the uh, Frankenstein. Uh, I mean, Dracula, the Wolfman, the the Santo versus uh, Wolfman and uh, and and Dracula. Mm-hmm. He, that was him also repeating, reprising his role there. You know. Hey, great. Find a good actor. Keep him working. Here's the mm-hmm. the great thing for me is that you've been a big help for, for Troy and myself trying to fill in the Santo gaps because uh, as much as I love them, Troy loves them even more. And he, he came prepared with a list of the ones he has and was looking to fill in those gaps. And I got to say, your table at the Monster Bash certainly helped both of us fill in a number of those gaps. And I just wanted to thank you. You are helping us movie lunatics see these movies in, thank goodness, uh, subtitled form so that we can get uh, the whole movie and understand what's going on and not start guessing about whether the movie is making sense or not. We can actually tell. And I just wanted to thank you that uh, through your business, man, we're able to see these things and otherwise we just wouldn't be able to because for whatever reason, nobody wants to cater to the English language American audience for the Santo movies. So thank yeah. you very much. Yes. Uh, no, you're very welcome, Rod. I mean, uh, I tell you what, I, I enjoy, you know, all my friends and fans that love these films to be able to to provide them with the very good prints. And uh, believe it or not, you know, if you really want to watch the films, uh, w- watching the films with the original Spanish language to hear Santo's original voice and the English subtitles is the best way to do these if you, you know, if you, if you don't mind reading the subtitles, you know. But uh, a lot of people, they said, well, I'd rather just hear it in English. But you're not going to get its original voice. And it takes away from the film a lot if you don't have the character's original voice in there and they're dubbed in there. You know, you got somebody else's voice in there. Uh, and uh, But that's the reason why I always try to promote my... Uh, my Spanish versions with the English subtitles, which most of them, you know, I, I would say that 85% of the films that I have are Spanish with English subtitles. But if they say, no, I'd rather have the English K. Gordon Mary Dub version, okay, fine, then, you know, then I give them that one, you know? <laughs> well, I can understand if you grew up and you saw those K. Gordon Murray versions on television and things like that, and you have a lot of great nostalgic uh, associations with it, I can understand wanting to be able to revisit them. But I also want to be able to see the the uncut original language versions of these films just because i want to see it the way the the filmmakers intended the way the people involved in making the film were actually wanting you to experience the movie and that's i mean it may 
just be because I'm a movie nut, but I really love that. So, mm-hmm. and you know, and I want to thank you for being a fan. I mean, I know a lot. Uh, I've created such a <laughs> such a fan base uh, with a lot of the uh, these films, the Santo films, and a lot of people that never even heard of this character. You know, heard of him? What is this guy all about? He's a wrestler, okay? But is he a wrestler like a common wrestler today? You know, and this is no. You know, you got Mexican wrestling, a Mexican lucha. It's a whole entire entire world by itself the concept of the mexican lucha libre you know is it is it's totally different and why these why these wrestlers want to you know have an identity not with mask and fight in the ring with a mask on is basically it's, it's it's an honor thing it's an honor thing where they you know if they continue to win and win and win and win then you know their mystic it creates this fame where you know it's, well the mystery of the man behind the mask and, you know, he doesn't reveal his identity to anyone. Now, you know, in this particular film, Santo Dr. Death film they hear that you're covering, uh-huh. uh, they're, they're, the, the last wrestling scene in there that the announcer in the ring was saying, well, this is going to be a fight mask versus mask. And it was mascara contra mascara. Now, when the, in Mexico, when you fight for mask versus mask, Whoever loses, you got to take the mask off. They take the mask off, in which they did. You saw that in the, the clip in there. They took the, the wrestler's mask off. Now he loses that identity. He loses that persona. He can no longer wrestle with the mask. So he has to create a whole new identity. Thus, Santo fighting in the ring for 50 or 40 plus years and not never having his mask taken off except one time, and I will say this one time, it was, you know, he fought for the match, but he was never almost close to being taken off, but he did lose the match. And he's never lost a match except the one time that he lost it to Blue Demon. So, you know, if he would have had his mask taken, now you're no longer a, a, a hero. You're not a legend. You're not. Santa would have never been the character he is today if he would have had his mask taken off back in the early 50s when he was wrestling. That is the huge difference there between our American wrestlers when we watch, you know, WWA and all the, you know, the wrestling we watch here in the States versus watching Mexican wrestling or Mexican lucha libre from Mexico. So there you go. You know, you have other legends. The Blue Demon is also a legend in Mexico. He was a great wrestler, and he, he was like Santo very much. And uh, there was many, many other ones, too. That well, I yeah, what I've on. seen of Blue Demon has really impressed me. I've seen him, uh, I, I think mm-hmm. I've seen one of his solo films, but I've seen him in the team-up films with Santo a couple of times, and I really enjoyed him every time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, listen. You know, not to uh, mention that. Not, not not to mention that the in the in the seventies also there was the team up of the Champions of Justice, which was other uh-huh. wrestlers with Blue Demon and Santo uh, that were in there also uh, uh, doing all these uh, these movies, fighting uh, the Aztec mummies and all these monsters and everything else. So yeah, I tell you, I I just love the genre rod and uh, i will continue to do so because it's very entertaining and you know i've created you know so many friends that really enjoy and like what i like and you like now so hey you know that's what it's all about definitely man the great thing about the santo movies is that there are so many of them i may never see them all and i keep looping back and rewatching my favorites so i'm just kind of fighting against the tide of trying to see them all maybe i need to establish a list <laughs> like troy 
just start going through them systematically. <laughs> yeah. Plus, uh-huh, talking uh-huh. to you today has made me think that maybe it's time that I just start a Santo podcast and use that as my excuse to work my way through to all of them. There you go. There you go. Hmm. Hey, I'd, I'd be more than happy to uh, to help and assist in any way I can. If you do that, uh, I'd be more than happy, Rod, to uh, to come on board and assist you and help you in any of those or you know any information or uh reviews on any of those films well i tell you what if i do it's probably gonna have to be something i shift over to the bloody pit podcast and just uh, oh, okay. occasionally do one that would be so much fun but i tell you what one yeah. i want to point uh everyone to fifth dimension films your company where they can find uh some of these obscure santo films if you have any interest in uh the original language the uncut versions of these movies seek out Juan's site at fifth dimension films and you will be able to get some help it'll cost oh, some money thing. but it's worth it <laughs> <laughs> well i got him pretty pretty priced pretty fair there at the at the website yeah, and it's actually the website if i may say it's uh fifthdimensionfilms.com so you have to put that shop word in there otherwise you won't be able to get on the site uh, onto my site but uh, yeah I give a very good description of every film there's lobby cars posters in a very detailed uh, a little bio on each film to tell you basically what the film is about and if it has English subtitles or it's English dubbed or it has no subtitles because I do have a few there that do not have the subtitles. They're straight Spanish. So, uh, you know, so I let them know. Either way, I've had people buy them even without the subtitles because they just want to see the movie. They don't care if they don't understand it. They want to see Santo in action. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I can understand. Well, Juan, uh, I want to thank you again. Uh, I think this went well. So I bet we're going to probably do this again in the future. Not a problem, Rod. It was always a pleasure. It's been a great pleasure of mine to be uh, a part of your uh, uh, your Santo uh, uh, searching or Santo <laughs> filmmaking, uh, wanting to get it together. But it's always a great pleasure and uh, enjoy, enjoy, always enjoyed listening to you. Always enjoyed listening to you when you came Thank on you. the podcast. So uh, I just want to let you know that also, Rod. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks, Juan, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Okay, Rod. Well, thank you very much for having me on, and you take good care. And uh, as we say, Viva Santo. <laughs> Once again, thank Juan for uh, yeah. sitting down and talking. Good stuff. I love to be able to dig into the head of someone who has a lot more knowledge about these movies than I do. Mm. And uh, I think Juan and I are going to try next year to sit down and uh, do a couple of more podcasts on a couple of more Santo films. So, uh, yeah, look forward to that. Yeah. I certainly look forward to that. Yeah. No, for someone to be someone as evil as he is, Juan is a very nice, nice guy. You know, I, I, <laughs> I call him evil because he does sell 
subtitled, you know, Spanish films. You know, when I first passed his table at Monster Bash, I... I'm used to there being many people who will just sell these things, you know, regardless of whether they're subtitled or not. And unless I look on the back of them and it says English dub or subtitled in English, I'm not going to get them. And that's what I just assumed his table was more of, of you know, was, was going to be more of those kind of things. And yeah. so then when I was, was I was informed that everything on his table, he doesn't sell stuff unless there's at least some kind of English option, you know, on there, then, you know, then, then, uh, then I knew I was in trouble. And sure enough, yeah. sure enough, we both walked away with bagfuls of, uh, of, of, <laughs> bag of, stuff. of movies. Yeah. Now here's the thing. He does have, um, he does have uh, a lot of the, a lot of uh, Mexican films that there are no, there is no English, um, op, you know, no English option on, but, uh, he will tell you about that. He will oh, sure, say, yeah. you know, if you, if you're interested in those, mm. I have those as well, but, Mm. Everything you see here is, you know, yeah. there's an English option one way or another. You'll be able to understand it. Well, where we started from was because I was going to pick up copies for myself and for my older brother of the insane film Ship of Monsters, you know. I that, love that uh, movie. And because uh, my older brother had seen it, you know, a while back, too. And he, he just said, look, I don't, I, he said, we just assumed it was not going to be in English, but that's not a film. We're like, you don't need it with that. It's just so much fun anyway. So that's where I was first to pick it up, and then I, my eyes bugged out when I when he told me that no, this is an actual subtitled version, you know. So it probably still won't make any more sense, but it's uh, it's, got, it's just an amazing film. It truly is. If you it, get a chance uh, to see Ship of Monsters, it's nuts. Have you have you not have you not seen it with English? I've seen, I've not seen the whole thing. No, no, I'm not, not with subtitles. I've seen Ship of Monsters is completely insane. There's yeah. no way <laughs> to walk away from that movie without the feeling that you mm. accidentally got fed acid. <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> but all right, let's talk about Santo versus Dr. Death, 1973. First of all, if you are unaware of who Santo is, you clearly have not listened to the re- the, the first part of this mm. podcast yeah, because right. I think I think we delve into it. Mm. But one of the great things to me about Santo is that uh, he was, in a weird way, almost a renaissance guy because the man had a full career as a professional wrestler. Uh, and, and, of course, when we talk about uh, professional wrestling in Mexico, remember, uh, it's an incredibly acrobatic and insanely athletic mm-hmm. thing. You did not do this if you were not in incredible physical shape. You did not do the crazy-ass stunt work. And that's what it, that's what a lot of it is. It's, a cra- it's just an amazing amount of crazy stunts, um, over-the-top uh, violent flipping and tossing and and uh, it, there's a lot of really amazing stuff that you see in these and it's one of the reasons why although I have no interest whatsoever in American professional wrestling I can watch Mexican wrestling all freaking day long and that's one of the things that when I first started delving into the Santo movies of course like anybody else that grew up in the United States the way I first saw any Santo movie were the, uh, the the K. Gordon Murray mm-hmm. English dubbed versions of mm-hmm. uh, some of the early black and white ones from the 60s. And really, really enjoyed them. Mm-hmm. But uh, I always remember people saying things like, well, yeah, I, lo- I really love the movies, but the movies kind of drop dead and stand stand still while we watch, you know, while we go and have Santo jump in the ring and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, have a wrestling match every now and then in one of the movies. And I, I always thought that was kind of amazing because... I really kind of liked watching those parts too. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to see him kicking vampire ass. Don't get me wrong. I want to see him, you know, rip the head off of yeah. a werewolf and kick a mummy's ass down a staircase. But <laughs> you get him in the ring and you start seeing all this very acrobatic, athletic fight. And I'm glad. I'm thrilled. I'm glad to be there. And so I find that. Uh, well, first of all, I've never seen a I've never seen an El Santo movie I didn't enjoy. Oh yeah, same here. Uh, there are some that I consider better than others. Right. But I've never been less than pleased mm-hmm. with a Santo movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, 
I've only seen about twenty of them, so maybe you know, maybe, maybe you may maybe, just be scratching. Yeah, you may just be making it. It's like a <laughs> you know. It's maybe like, I've just seen the cream of the crop. <laughs> I don't know, but if you have any interest in a Santo film and you've never seen one, uh, Santo versus Doctor Death. I don't know if I'd call it a, a good place to start. It's not a bad place to start, as we'll discuss here in a little while. Man, just if you're curious, spot a title. Make sure you can understand the language spoken or read the subtitles on it and just go see the damn thing. Mm -hmm. They're fun. I'm not a big wrestling fan myself. The only time I was really into wrestling and where I was really watching a lot was when I was a kid in the early 70s watching a lot of the the wrestlers. So I'm kind of familiar with that time period of wrestling. I'm still familiar with a lot of what's going on just because I know you and I both have so many mutual friends who just love it. I mean, just just, just know it chapter chapter and verse. I have, through them, occasionally seen modern wrestling bouts, and I really feel, and I, it, they might contradict me or they might not agree, but I think that think that the Mexican wrestling gradually began to have an influence on what on what we have now as modern wrestling because they are yeah. very acrobatic now. These guys are like what they're doing now with the modern wrestling. Because like, when I was watching American wrestling in the 70s, you know, it was pretty much just kind of like stock, you know, kind of stocky guys in tights going around, you know, just kind of, you know, arm locking, throwing stuff each other against the ring, you know, and they were big burly guys. And they were fun to watch. But now if you see modern wrestling that that's so huge now, you know, that's, yeah. that's a massive, massive entertainment industry thing. I mean, these these guys are like getting up on ladders and somersaulting on the tables and just doing some really acrobatic things. And I feel like a lot of that kind of comes from. The, the the Mexican wrestling tradition, I think, kind of started to bleed over and have an effect on, you know, started, they started realizing, hey, this is going to pull, this is going to, I think that helped to make wrestling the massive phenomenon it is now is the fact that the matches got far more interesting because of what these guys are able to do. These guys aren't just kind of the, you know, the, you know, the pudgy kind of guys going around, <laughs> you know, with big beefy guys. I mean, these guys are like chiseled big acrobats, you know, that are doing all this stuff now. The, the gymnastic end of this stuff, you may be very, you may be right. I don't know. I, like say, I, mean, I would, it honestly, yeah, and I yeah. don't either. I mean, like, I'd have to ask one of our wrestling expert friends if they buy that or not. They may totally disagree with that or may know more about where, how that all began. They may have nothing to do with the wrestling industry, but uh, with the Mexican wrestling industry, but I kind of feel like maybe it does. I kind of feel like that, that, that they were at least aware of that and what was going on there and kind of started to I can't see it not having some, some kind of, I can't see it, it not yeah. having some kind of influence at some point mm-hmm. because the, uh, to a to a certain one of the reasons why I never got interested as a kid in in wrestling was that the only thing that seemed to draw people in was you know these larger than life caricatured characters that these people mm-hmm. were playing mm-hmm. you know uh, kind of setting up these you know these kind of ridiculous uh, good versus evil things that mm-hmm. were very cartoonish mm-hmm. and at the same time I just I just felt that there wasn't really anything much there mm-hmm. to draw me in because yeah yeah, yeah I kind of see where this this is going I can hear you bad mouthing each other before the match starts so mm-hmm. I know what's going to happen mm-hmm. but the thing about uh you know very <laughs> the very fast paced and interesting and just non-stop movement that is the the mexican wrestling stuff mm-hmm. i am always stunned watching that i'll get bored mm-hmm. watching mm-hmm. uh you know i got when i was a kid i got bored watching mm-hmm. pro wrestling I was like mm-hmm. you know i could be doing something else <laughs> If I had been, if they had been showing Mexican wrestling on television when mm. I was a kid, I'd mm. probably still be mainlining that shit. Yeah. <laughs> going, yeah. Yeah, 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 go, 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 do it. Who's next? Who's yeah. next? Or if the American wrestlers, like you know, then went out and like fought Wolfman and, and and vampires and things like that, <laughs> that that would have also helped you. That would have also helped sustain yeah, your interest in yeah, that. If, uh, <laughs> if we'd had a Frankenstein's daughter, <laughs> yeah, kind yeah. of subplot <laughs> yeah. somewhere somewhere in a feature film involving pro wrestlers, yeah. you yeah. probably would have had my ass on a seat somewhere yeah. so yeah. yeah that's true that's true <laughs> 
Okay, let's talk Santo versus Dr. Death. Now, one of the great things about Santo and his 50-some-odd films, 56... Well, according to my checklist, which I know I've I've still got to compare with uh, the Wikipedia page that you found and see, because there may be more that I'm not familiar with, but based on what was listed on the Santo and Friends website, which is kind of what I've used as my checklist for trying to acquire these films, uh, there were 52, Santo made 52 films. Um, So probably you can figure somewhere in that range, 50 to 60 films he probably made, because I'm probably missing some from that. That checklist probably wasn't. It's probably awfully hard to get a complete comprehensive checklist but it looks like the Wikipedia page does a pretty good job seems pretty impressed and like you said I don't think my list may not include all those films that you're talking about where maybe he just has like a cameo in or something yeah, like yeah. that so well he, he guest starred you know like did a you know single scene or just a like one fight in a, <laughs> right. in a couple of Blue Demon movies and stuff like that but one of the things about his Santos film career was that it was so it started in the late 50s but it was so successful, uh, he didn't stop making movies until just a couple of years before he died. His last mm-hmm. film was mm-hmm. in like 19, 1981, right. I think. Yeah. What that means is that he had an incredibly long film career, and there were years, like the year this particular film came out in 73, yeah. when he was making four or five movies a year. Mm-hmm. That means these things were not just successful, they were incredibly mm-hmm. successful. What you have is a series of movies starring El Santo. The first thing that's going to draw... Somebody like me and probably you mm. as well, Troy, is going to mm. be the fact that Santo fought monsters. Oh yeah, okay. that, that, that's that's where he named. That's where they hooked. Vampire us women, yeah. Frankenstein's daughter, Dracula's, Dracula's daughter, tri- yeah. yeah. Uh, all these things, and that's phenomenal. I mean, you've got a mm. movie with mm. uh, with uh, him and blue, De- him and blue demon fighting uh, Dracula zombies and the Wolfman, and wolf- fighting yeah, zombies, right, right. And fighting mummies. Not just any Wolfman, but a Wolfman in an incredibly wonderful gold lame kind of disco <laughs> shirt. No, that's just just awesome, awesome. <laughs> oh, I love that movie so. But the beautiful thing is that although the thing that will draw a monster kid or just a, uh, a horror fan into the Santo movies in the first place are the monster movies, but there were a, a, there were a lot more than monster movies in his filmography. One of the great things about Santo is that he did a couple or three or four different genres, Mm -hmm. as as Juan pointed out. He even did a Western at one point. Yeah, he did. So there's a whole lot of... Yeah, yeah, he did all kinds of stuff. Now, some of the more interesting things, and this film fits into that category, is that in a way, much like exploitation films, much like the uh, the, the, my beloved rip-off cinema of European cult cinema, they would follow the trends. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the fact that um, when we get to Santo versus Dr. Death, I can unabashedly tell you that this movie is essentially a Euro spy film. Very much so, yeah. Santo versus Dr. Death falls very easily into the Euro spy, quote-unquote, James Bond ripoff cinema mm-hmm. that was still in its heyday. Well, it had really kind of fallen off by, you know, like 1969, 1970. Right, yeah. But there were still there were still a number of them being made mm-hmm. at various budgetary levels. Mm-hmm. This movie slots very easily into that, and the beautiful thing about it is, it's a Euro spy crime film mm-hmm. with El Santo in the lead. Mm-hmm. But it's also got a really great mad scientist. Oh, and and one of the craziest mad scientists. Plots, I mean, or, I or schemes uh, that takes a long time to unfold to you what it's about, which makes it even more enjoyable because you do spend a first part of the film wondering what the hell is going on here, 
you know, with these sort of disparate elements, you know, like, yeah, what, like is what is this, he cutting is, out is, of these women? And, and then what is this whole, how does this fit in with this whole stealing paintings kind of, it's just, yeah. <laughs> the, the explanation, I don't know if it's ingenious, but it's, uh, it, it's, but in a way it is, it's, okay, it's, it's, it's nuts. Gonna, it's nuts. I'm going to put it this way. <laughs> the, the mad scientist scheme in this film is ingenious, clever, and batshit crazy. Yes, yes. Roughly 33% of yes, all three yes. of those adding mm, up to 99% mm. with that 1% left yeah. over being, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's so pulpy you can smell the mill. You can smell the pulp, the paper <laughs> mill from, you know. From oh, it's definitely pulpy. This is, this is definitely, this is right out of a 1930s spicy mm, spicy yeah. magazine spicy yeah, pulp yeah, magazine yeah. where you've got i mean i can i can envision the cover now which is mm. you know a scre- you know a screaming nude woman on a <laughs> uh, you know being carved up yeah. by the mad scientist with you know like a yeah. famous a famous master's painting on the wall yeah, behind yeah. it with blood splashed on it with el santo yeah. trying to break through the door yeah. and save the woman and also and all just because he can own a great piece of art you know like you right. know wanting great art i mean like i think we talked about it i think we you and i compared it to like dr mabuza as like told in a Weird Tales magazine issue yep. or something like yep. that. So, that's that's yeah. pretty much what it is. Yeah. Now, uh, because uh, I've already discussed this movie briefly with with one, uh, some of the cats are already out of the bag. Uh, I, I have gone ahead and made uh, like roughly 15 pages of notes on this film. <laughs> I'll try not to uh, destroy your mental faculties. Yeah, everybody's looking by, at their watches now. It's like, okay. Yes, Wait a minute. I don't know if I can get through 15 pages of notes. <laughs> so we're not, we're not going uh, to... To kill you with the the in depth discussion that uh, I obviously envisioned for this film, Re- refusing to to save it till later. I got to tell you, I loved this movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went into this uh, knowing think, that yeah. not all Santo movies are created equal, right. but I did not expect this movie to to fire on certain cylinders no. that I didn't even expect to be in the engine. Exactly. Even with our enjoyment of Santo films, I think we both were kind of gobsmacked by uh, by yeah. this film, by how, how how good it actually is, how how actually it's maybe something that could even appeal to people who aren't, who don't just necessarily get Santo, you know. Don't, don't I agree. Get, like, yeah. I, and that's what really surprised me. Uh, so, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't want to give everything away right now, but we'll. Uh, but we can definitely. I think we, we can go ahead and say that we both were surprisingly uh, entertained by this film. Definitely, definitely. The film starts out with a cat burglar sneaking into a uh, a building at night. It turns out to be a uh, an art gallery. Uh, he's dressed in black. He's a he's a pretty handsome man. Handsome man. He's very obviously very athletic. He uh, dangles himself very uh, very cat burglar like mm. down on a rope. And uh, into the gallery, in front of this very famous painting, it's a Velasquez. Uh, Velasquez, Velasquez, uh, Velasquez. I guess Velasquez, I believe. But anyway, yeah, you, you, uh, you've probably if you've seen, the, if, if, if you've the seen, uh, yeah, it's called the drunks. It's 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 a painting that you've seen uh, at least a, yeah. a, a photograph of it, some oh, point, yeah, or, a point or another in your life. And he just sprays the painting with something and then leaves. He doesn't steal anything. He just leaves. Mm-hmm. Well, later on, when the painting's being shipped overseas, they discover that. Uh, when it arrives where it's going, it, the the area that was sprayed has been damaged, and uh, they don't know who did it or when or how or anything like that. So they know that the, the painting is going to have to be restored. Once we have that piece of information, because the painting has been shipped to Madrid, I believe. Yeah, yeah, from, uh, right. It or back to Madrid. It had been mm-hmm. in um, it had been in Mexico and then mm-hmm. was being shipped yeah. back to Madrid. We, we cut to our first Santo uh, our first Santo match. Uh, in the film, in which we get three or four. And this is a tag team match. And, of course, like I say, maybe when I watch this film for the fourth or fifth time, mm-hmm. I'll fast-forward through the through the, the re- wrestling matches. 
But uh, I've watched this film twice so far, and I've well, I've sat through them twice. Well, let me let me no listen. I think that there's a different difference in in these the way these matches are filmed. I think it's another reason why I said I think this film is not just for Santo completists or just Santo fans. I could actually see someone enjoying because enjoying them because in the Santo films, most of the times when they have a a wrestling match. Now you're right that the things the wrestlers do, you know, are a lot of times really interesting and acrobatic. But but rarely does the camera do a whole lot there. Now, in the majority of the Santo films, the camera kind of is fixed on the match. You see the match, you hear the announcer's voice, and that's something we don't have here. Is the announcer's play by play? A lot true, of yeah. Santo films, and and the reason I think they do that in the Mexican films is I really think they're trying to recreate these experience of sitting at home and watching Santo matches on TV. Because I think that adds to for the Mexican audiences at that time that you know, the fact that that the way it looks on the movie screen is kind of what they're similar used to like just seeing and watching Santo. Yeah, I see what you then mean. Then he suddenly goes out and he fights vampires, he fights werewolves, and it's you know I think like it kind of like helped to make that seem almost like his well in, real in universe. Words, in other words, by by keeping the, uh, the 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 wrestling matches in the film very mm. much like what the audience was used to seeing on television, mm. it almost. Maybe they were trying to give the the films the anchor of having something in there in there that was very familiar, so yeah. that when they went off on the 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 monster mm. battles tangents, yeah. it didn't seem you know you essentially it didn't seem had that home, far out of yeah, it. Yeah, 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 I think that's why they did that. But it can be a little tough going sometimes for the casual viewer who might you know want to sit down and watch the films. They might. I, I agree with you that what the, the wrestlers, what they do is really has some great stuff, but I can definitely understand why some people could maybe glaze over when the, the matches go on because yeah. they're because they're filmed kind of static-wise, whereas that's one of the first things that blew me away about this film is 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 how these matches, they are, are edited. I mean, they really, the camera and the, the, you know, they don't film that way at all. I mean, they really get down there and dirty with them and change the camera angles, edit yeah. them. I mean, they're, they, they're, the pacing on them is good. Um, so I'm like you. I mean, I, I didn't find them. I didn't find them at all tedious. You know, I thought they were. Oh, no, I no, thought no. that all the matches were really well filmed. It wasn't just case like, okay, let's get to the match and get onto the story. It's they were really interesting. They were really well done. Now the the one crime that I will say that the the wrestling matches in mm. in most Santo films, but not all, is that it really is. It's like. Um, the best analogy for me would be to say it's like when somebody starts singing in a musical. Mm. Essentially, in mm. general, everything stops. Yeah. Every, the whole damn story stops, and mm. we have the song. Yeah. And in a way, and this is definitely true in this film, mm-hmm. when we get to the wrestling matches, the plot stops. Sure. Yeah. Uh, and that is something that I could see as a definite negative. Mm-hmm. It doesn't turn out for me to be a negative because I don't mind it. Mm-hmm. I enjoy watching what's going sure. on. Yeah. But if that was someone's complaint. Mm-hmm. I could get. I, I could completely too. understand. I could too. What I do like is the way that they do fit. I do like the way that they manage to at least make them fit perfectly with the plot in the sense of like Santo. I love the fact that he's just like Santo is scheduled to go fight these matches in Madrid. And they're like, oh, well, right. while you're going there, can you also solve this? You know, <laughs> can well, you see, also and solve that? That's a great thing. I love that, that kind is, of thing. That, about. Is, that jumps us up to the next plot point, okay. which yeah. is that after the backstage after this particular tag team match that we watch, Santo is contacted by an Interpol agent. Who tells him, "Hey, look, we've got it. We got an assignment for you." Mm-hmm. Santo goes, "Hey, I, 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 re- I really can't. I've mm-hmm. got, you know, I've been, I've been contracted. I've got mm-hmm. three matches to do." And the Interpol agent goes, "Yeah, yeah, we know. You're going to Madrid for three matches. Mm-hmm. That's where we want you to go. That's yeah. perfect cover for mm-hmm. what we're asking you to do." Yeah. Interpol, you've been given an assignment. I have contracts to fulfill. I'm leaving for Spain to fight in the World Championship in Madrid. That's the reason why you were designated for this job. Your presence in that country will appear to be just for the fight. What's it all about? 
The painting by Velasquez, which was sent from the Del Prado Museum and exhibited in Mexico, has been seriously damaged. Here? That's one of the things you've got to find out. Up to now, we have no information. I have to be in Madrid in a few days, so I suggest you begin your investigation here first. Many people are working on this case here in Mexico already. You must leave for Spain immediately. It's very urgent. Let's let's point out a few things that I love that this film establishes in this scene perfectly, which is mm-hmm. that, A, Santos, uh, uh, a kind of freelance Interpol agent or freelance yeah, yeah. secret agent mm-hmm. slash private mm-hmm. investigator, mm-hmm. that professional, mm-hmm. <laughs> world-class uh, police agencies will turn to mm-hmm. to do things for them. Mm-hmm. I love that. They just establish it. It's not uh, It's not dwelt upon. They don't have a lot of uh, ridiculous, over-the-top, stupid dialogue. Mm-hmm. Nothing, nothing about it seems uh, flimsy. They've clearly done this before. Mm-hmm. Santos brushing him off and going, hey, man, I can't. I have obligations. And the guy's going, we know about the obligations, and that's going to fit in perfectly. Yeah, yeah. Santo takes this information on board and immediately just starts asking the questions that he's going to need to know to figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that in the world of this film, Santo is Santo. Yeah, yeah. He's El Santo. Oh, sure, he yeah. is the saint. He yeah. is yeah. the pro wrestling badass. Mm, mm. He is also, unbeknownst to the public, unbeknownst mm. to anyone else. Yeah. He's a secret agent. Yeah. This is oh, awesome. It's, oh, it's a great. It's, 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 yeah. it's, it's uh, every, I swear mm. to you, if I'd seen this movie in 1973 mm. or 1974, 1975, at the age I was, uh-huh. it would have been yeah. like the greatest superhero thing mm. in the world because we certainly didn't get superhero movies at the time. Mm. This would have been as close as you can get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This guy in a mask mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who kicks ass in the ring yeah. has a secret life <laughs> as James Bond. Yeah. Or, I'm sorry, Juan Bond, or whatever we're going to call yeah. him. I don't care. doesn't matter what we call him. Yeah. That's that's so cool. Oh, it is. Yeah, no, it's 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 great. And and um, <clears throat> you mentioned that, yeah, because obviously the translation of his name is the saint, so it makes sense that they would call him that. Especially in the fact that at in Spain at that time, El Santo probably wasn't that widely known. You know, uh, he, I mean, he was probably known to States? an extent in the in this in Spain. What I'm talking about, as opposed oh, to Spain. Mexico. What I'm saying, so it would make sense that in in Spain, you know, that they would probably well, just I dub the know. voice um, in as the same. But I'm also wondering, this may be told. I know that this is a, quite a ways after the TV series, but it wouldn't surprise me to find out that at least in some countries, if they tried to actually pass this off as a saint film, you know what I'm talking about? Because <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, look at it this way: if they try to pass off Godzilla movies as Frankenstein films in Germany, you know, which they did, and at times, you know, it's it's like, uh, uh, you know, it's like I wonder if. Anyone tried to actually, yeah. if somebody they tried to distribute this, I could totally see them trying to pass this off as the Saints. Like, yes, it's Roger Moore under that mask. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Ain't nobody believing that. <laughs> Roger Moore needs a team of stunt doubles to get through, <laughs> yeah. to get through a Bond film. Let's be honest. Uh, even in 1973. But the uh, the kind of uh, double life, secret double mm-hmm. life that uh, Santo leads is just it's it's classic mm-hmm. superhero stuff. It's yeah. classic comic book stuff, and I think it's just amazing. Well, uh, what I love is that we already, I mean, b- before things have even gotten rolling, there's a spy listening in on this conversation between Santo and the Interpol agent. Uh, this this spy calls someone on the phone, and uh, over the phone he's told, "Hey, we'll, we'll have to take care of him here." In other words, yeah. whoever he's talking to. Uh-huh. They've obviously like followed the Interpol agent. They are like, right. somehow or another know what's going on, and, and they're like, okay, we can't let the, mm-hmm. this uh, this El Santo guy start investigating this, so we're gonna have to kill him. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all, you can't kill El Santo. His name's in the, his name's <laughs> in the title of the film. You're not gonna. It's not gonna happen. Yeah. 
Well, then we uh, we meet uh, the Restorer, who's Dr. Robert Mann. Uh, we, we learn uh, how this, uh, you know, what was sprayed on the painting. They're talking to him about, uh, I love the fact that he lives in a castle. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. Now, uh-huh. right off the bat, uh-huh. you see Dr. Robert Mann. He's the the he, art the, the painting restorer who's going to work yeah. on this this this. He's uh, a doctor of art and of chemistry, you know, which yep, is, which yep, is yep. yeah potent potent uh, combination for evil. Well, people. here's the thing. Yeah. He lives in a castle. Yeah. His assistant is Helga Lene. Yeah, yeah. So you automatically That's know. That's a tip off right there. <laughs> you automatically know, dude is bad. Yeah. Dude yeah. is a mad so, scientist yeah. <laughs> probably because somebody said chemistry. Yeah. <laughs> and then we are t- we're we're shown immediately that he's the bad guy. Yeah. Because the burglar that we saw break in and mm-hmm. spray this chemical on the painting in the first place turns out to be a guy named Peter who is uh who lives and works with mm-hmm. Dr. Robert Mann. Mhm. Who is also faking being blind. Who is faking being blind, yeah. And we'll get to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about the actors involved here. Yes, gosh, yeah, we got it. Well, let's talk first about the director. Uh, uh, oh, well, yeah, okay, that's a good idea. Raffaella Romero Merchant. He made 33 films. He's still alive, as far as I can tell. Born in uh, 1926. Yes, I do believe he, uh, he made Disco Rojo, which we've already covered. We've already uh, covered. covered. Uh, a, neat, a neat little, uh, uh, a neat little uh, Paul Nashie film. Mm-hmm. One movie I really want to see that he did with Alberto de Mendoza and Helga Linné called Curse of the Black Cat, which I have not seen. Yes, I'm trying to get my hands on a copy yeah. of Curse of the Black Cat. Yeah. I haven't had any luck yet so far. Mm-hmm. Rafael uh, Romero uh, Merchant. Oh, I'm sorry. We haven't covered. The, there's another film he did called... Um, Zorro the Avenger mm-hmm. that I'm pretty sure I've seen. I think uh, I think I have on one of those big fifty packs. No, oh, yeah, but, right. <laughs> uh, but uh, actually, uh, also uh, another one of the films that he's done that I want to see eventually is The Student Connection from 1974, which stars uh, Ray Milland and Eduardo Calvo and uh, Maria Silva and Sylvia Cosini. Oh wow! Uh, many, yeah, many, yeah, many names we're familiar with. So yeah, good, yeah. Good he, he, made, he, he made the Student Connection just the year after this. And it was co-written by uh, Luciano Ericoli, who uh, is a, a director who made some really great giallos, who made uh, uh, Death Walks at Midnight and Death in High Heels and uh, forbidden photos of, 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 a, of a lady. Uh, just a, a really interesting director and, and really knew his way around a screenplay. So The Student Connection is another one of this director's films that I would love to get my hands on. It's uh, apparently... Uh, a giallo, and so automatically my interest is peaked. Well, I thought Marchant just did a great job with this film. Oh, you I know, agree. He's he's t- he's very involved in the film to the whole. You know, I mean, it's it's every sequence is just incredibly well thought out and 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 set up and and edited. You know, it's just uh, really really uh, tightly done. Just very very good very good stuff. Well, let's talk about the actor who um, plays our beloved. Dr. Dr. Robert Mann. Mann. Dr. Mann. Uh, well, let's let's make sure everybody knows that clearly, clearly, this man is our mad scientist. Yeah, There's no yeah, way to no, hide yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, just the grin he has on his face. He's enjoying himself too much. He's, he's yeah, definitely there. He's, he's clearly got something going on, and mm. Lord only knows what it can be, mm. and I doubt it's going to be good for anybody right. in the entire film. And, of course, that turns out to be correct. Um, he is he's an actor we've seen before. Uh, we saw him definitely in Eyeball. Mm-hmm. And a few dozen yeah. other places as well, at least as far as uh, my. Well, he was in horror. He was in horror express. Yes, uh, he was. Uh-huh. I guess George. I guess it's Rigaud is how it's pronounced. I believe. Uh, actually, Juan pronounced it perfectly okay. when I brought him up in, in the in the section with Juan. So I'm not even going to try because okay. the way okay. he said it is perfect, okay. and I'm just going to pretend refer to, that, Juan. Uh, refer to Juan. Refer to Juan. He said it correctly, and I'm not going to I'm so, not going so, to screw this okay. up. Of course, he's a, he he has a as a role as a professor in Where Time Began. That would be the uh, the uh, <laughs> the Juan Simon Picard uh, uh, film that uh, 
Uh, I still haven't seen it, but I kind of want to see because yeah. it seems to be a kind of Edgar Rice Burroughs, uh, you oh, know, yeah. land, yeah. land, yeah, okay. time forgot ripoff. Mm. So I know I want to see it, but uh, he he was in that. We've seen him, of course, in Eyeball, The Karate, The Cult, and The Imposter, uh, which is a which is a spaghetti oh. western. He was in a number of very interesting uh, spaghetti westerns and uh, giallos. Uh, I won't hold against him the fact that he was in Love Brides, The Blood Mummy, Blood Mummy. Because I can I, I don't know who to blame for that, but I want them all. I, <laughs> I know that was off. one that I know that's still uh, uh, that's got, I know you still got a bitter taste from that one there. Yeah, he was also in All the Colors of the Dark as oh, yeah. uh, Doctor Burton in that. Yeah. He was in Maniac Mansion as Elsa's father, a film mm. that we covered here yeah. on the Beyond Nashy mm-hmm. uh, before. He was in uh, Case of the Bloody Iris, Knife, Knife of Ice, Lizard in a Woman's Skin, mm. um, Death Walks on High Heels. For Mr. Eric Eric Coley, mm-hmm. uh, a town called Hell. He was in a number of films, and some of them I have definitely seen, and yeah, some of them yeah, I same. want to see yes. even more of. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in Guns of the Magnificent Seven, which I've yet to see because I, 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 I don't know if you were aware of this, but the the, the Magnificent Seven sequels were all filmed in Spain. Oh, were they? Yes, okay. yes, okay. yes. Okay, uh, which I did is not know uh, that. yep, yep. Uh, he was also in uh, Eagles Over London, which uh, is on Blu-ray. People, seek it out. Mm. It's a fun one. But the the cast, that's just one of the many Nashy oh, yeah. connections. Of course, we've already mentioned the lovely and amazing and awesome mm-hmm. Helga Linnae, mm-hmm. who is uh, the evil scientist's yeah, yeah. Uh, female assistant. Sadly, she keeps her hair up through this film, but she's still beautiful. Know, still I know. beautiful, I know. We thought at some point, surely, she'll let the hair down, maybe try and seduce Osanto or something, but it just never happens. She pretty much stays professional through the whole, through the whole uh, film. Professional which, and evil through the whole film. I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say disappointing to a degree. Yeah, you know, it's... it's I, I, I want her to be a little I, bit more you know exposed is it? no 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 well I mean okay. after the green bikini yes. after the green bikini of the Lorelai's grass I don't know if anything can compare it but, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to agree with you there but no I, I just really uh, not that the not that it's disappointing because she's very good in the role oh, she's and, fine I, with and I like I like yeah. the way that I like the way the characters played in the film mm. but uh, I kept expecting her to uh, be overtly evil yeah yeah very, very yeah. you know mm. to have some scene where she uh, I don't know Goes toe to toe in some kind of bizarre cat fight with one of the other females uh, yeah, you in kept the movie, saying, yeah. but it, but that doesn't happen. Yeah. And the fact that it doesn't, and the way that character goes out, is a real surprise. <laughs> yeah, I didn't say the least. I mean, if you if you want to if you want a little shock and surprise, watch watch the way Helga Linnae uh, exits the screen. Shall we say? <laughs> yes, yes. Very intriguing and very very worth uh, worth the price of admission. Almost that alone. Well. uh uh, it we, turns out really quickly we find out because uh, we are we are privy to this mad scientist plans that he's going to make a copy of the painting mm-hmm. as it is, pretend to be working on it, and mm-hmm. then uh, set his plan in motion because it's clear that this guy is some kind of lunatic who mm-hmm. wants to have the original painting himself. Yeah, just yeah that no one will ever know about, but just because he wants to, he's, he he just wants to own these original priceless paintings. He's a crazy man. And oh, by the way, he has captive women kept captive in yeah. a basement room. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Let's just go ahead and advance yeah. through the plot. Mm. We find out that not only is a painting restorer and a chemist and yeah. all this, yeah. he's also a painter himself. And he keeps, because apparently he is quite wealthy, mm. he keeps a number of models in 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 the uh, the castle and you know he'll he'll work with them for a while and then send them you know send them pay them pay them and send them on, on their way and get in more models but he was a painter himself and he uses mm. these models for his uh, to 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 model for the work that he is doing but we find out pretty quickly that some of these models or at least 
some really attractive women are being kept prisoner in a cellar or a, a, a dungeon mm-hmm. beneath the castle, which is, of course, why you buy a castle right. in the first place, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. And uh, we see that he has a few henchmen, uh, one of which is Frank Barana. Sure, Frank Barana. One of my favorite little uh, little character actors yeah, who pop great. up in a number of mm-hmm. Spanish horror films. Uh, mm-hmm. several, several of the, uh, the Nashi films that we have covered, Frank Barana pops up in. We really quickly are introduced to this dungeon full of beautiful women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We see Frank Brana and one of the other henchmen. Uh, they're told they need one of them. They grab mm-hmm. one, bring her up. They drag her out of there. Yeah. And then we see that uh, the the doctor Helga Lene and uh, Peter, the, the 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 athletic man who's, who's the, blind the cat man burglar, who's not, yeah, yeah, the blind man who's faking it, conducts surgery on this girl, kill her, yeah. extract something, something out of her. Yes. And then they dump the corpse into a vat of acid. They go; it goes down a slide into a vat of acid. Now, <laughs> once again, this is why you buy a castle. Yes, that's right. Because that's one of the top things on your shop. We've said before on your shopping list when you're searching for castles, you always have to make sure that they've got an acid bath in the, in the <laughs> acid bath in the basement is uh, is, is, is a requisite. So, hey. Yeah, yeah, or at least the capability to install. Yeah, I mean because yeah. you, I understand acid can be expensive, mm-hmm. and perhaps that's not going to be included in the in the price yeah, of the castle. Yeah. That's going to be an add on. Yeah, it's like building a deck. I get yeah. it. I yeah. understand. <laughs> All mod cons, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> so Whatever they extracted from this yeah. girl appears to be something that they need, some ingredient yeah. that they need to make a perfect copy in, yeah, this, you, in this big machine. Yeah, but you didn't get that from that first, though, did you? I mean, I no, mean, no, no, no. I mean, even when, when you see the surgery, that, you see them take something out, and then whatever they do, they then make the copy of the painting. So it's like, okay, so they had to do this. And something yeah. about that is connected to... Okay, yeah, you're right, but I didn't even connect it at that point. I, th- I mean, I saw, I mean, you're right, you see the surgery, and then you see them with the painting, but at this point, I thought it was some other, like, I, I was expecting some kind of Dr. Orloff kind of, has he got some daughter somewhere that he's trying to restore <laughs> to, you know, I thought we were going to have a totally different kind of, you know, some sort of other angle coming on this, so I, I, did, I, I didn't even connect it at that point with that it was somehow helping him to make these copies, you know, I just thought like this is a multi- this is just a multitasker. He's got a lot of a lot of evil irons and a lot of evil fires going on here. Oh, oh, <laughs> all, all hail the multitasking mad scientist! Yeah. Fear him! Fear him! <laughs> We're getting closer, dear Sarah, to contemplating my collection. The most incredible collection in the whole world. And how much work and how much blood some of them have cost you. And how much genius. While they exhibit copies in the best museums in the world, I have the originals. Now all I'm lacking is the beautiful gardener of Raphael. It excites me to think that on these very canvases, the hands of the masters have worked. Rembrandt, Da Vinci, Goya. Velasquez, El Greco. What did you want? The policeman passed our control on the highway. But if you'll allow me... I know what you're going to say. But have you ever known me to make a rash decision? When you're dealing with a mad scientist mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who, as you say, has yeah. got uh-huh. many evil irons and many evil fires, mm-hmm. uh, he's <laughs> definitely going to... Uh, be slicker than the average mad scientist. Because mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Mann... Or Dr. Death, whatever you want to call him, has definitely got a smooth exterior. This is a man who is able to fool uh, these uh, these 
mu- museum curators and uh, professional Interpol agents mm-hmm. and police officers from uh, Spain and from all over Europe. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, real quick, one of those curators played by Eduardo Calvo, which is going to say that there. Uh, yeah. doesn't have and, a big role, but it's good to see no. Eduardo Calvo. So Always anyway, good to yeah. see Eduardo Calvo and his mm-hmm. massive mustache. His massive mutton chops there. Oh, God, yeah. it's, it's, it's that beautiful yeah. thing. It's, yeah. like, it's a mustache that becomes the mutton chops. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's epic. That's epic that, facial hair. That's why uh, we had someone on the podcast one time told us that uh, they uh, thought that he looked like an and 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 uh, thought Lemmy looked thought he looked like he liked to be Lemmy's yeah. Lemmy's like father or something Lemmy's grandfather or something. That's, said, not, yeah. a bad, that's not a yeah. bad call. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's true. That's very true. To go through the plot of this as quickly mm. as possible because mm. otherwise it's going to be a be 24 like a, hour yeah, podcast. Yeah. Essentially, the uh, the mad doc, our mad doctor and his mad crew here learn that Santo is on his way to mm. Paris, basically because. Santo is is it, very intelligent in the way this mm. plot is being laid out because mm. there was a similar twelve years before there was a similar thing that happened to a different painting Rembrandt painting a, a Rembrandt p- painting it was uh, disfigured in some way and a, an art restorer worked on it the, the the painting turned out to be quote unquote a fake according to the professional who was restoring it soon after uh, working on the painting that restorer died in a plane crash. Oddly enough, they, they discover as the film goes on, this fellow looked a whole lot like Peter, the uh, the fake the fake blind guy who was mm-hmm. our very athletic cat burglar. Mm-hmm. They call him Professor Schwartz was his name, but right. uh, Schwartz, but uh, yes, he turns out striking resemblance to Peter. And so um, they're worried that if he starts digging into that th- that crime from twelve years before, he'll start putting two to get two and two together. So of course we have another attempt to kill Santo. Which uh, fails. I love when Santo spots the tail that's following the guy following him in the airport, lures him into the bathroom, and then just beats the holy living shit out of him. Yeah, it's you know, and I, well, of course, I just you know, and it always gives us a smile in any of these Santo films. But this is a classic example of Santo walking through the airport and nobody's heads even turning. You know, it's just like <laughs> I know. that's just you well, know, he's a man dressed, can, he's dressed like a normal guy. He is. In he's just got the silver mask. Except just, he's got yeah. the silver mask on. But but the bathroom scene is great because I love the ending of it when he's beating the guy up and the guy's like sprawled there on the toilet and then Santo just kind of Santo's fooled him by just leaving his shoes, shoes in the stall and then Santo just kind of steps back into his shoes and walks in walks away <laughs> well I do love that Juan pointed out that uh, you have Santo you know going on all these international flights with his mask on it's like yeah in 73 yeah, times have changed yeah even with all even with all the the, the, the skyjacking that was going on in the 70s apparently yeah. no problem yeah. <laughs> definitely not gonna happen in this day and age no. but in 73 I guess hey it's the saint let him on the plane well it's like uh, was it Fred Williamson and uh, uh, Larry Cohen you know when they made uh, uh, they made the two uh, I'm trying to think that they did the film and the sequel that Fred Williamson did, and the name's totally escaping me oh, now. Oh, Black, Black Caesar? Y- yeah, and then, yeah, whatever its sequel or prequel was, whatever. Yeah. But anyway, the one of them where it ends up with a big fight, where he gets into a big gunfight with, or battle with a, with a guy in an airport, and they literally just went and filmed it guerrilla style without oh getting God. permission. Can oh, you imagine man. that? Try, no. that, that? That would not happen now. That yeah. would not happen now, man. <laughs> no. That shit is locked down, dude. Yeah. You try to do something that looks like that in a Starbucks near an airport, and yeah. people are going to have a shit fit. So, yeah. maybe, maybe it was hell up in Harlem is what I'm thinking of. Oh, yeah, but, yeah, uh, but anyway, one of Harlem, those. Yeah. One of those, yeah. So, anyway. Uh, good Lord. So, Santo goes to Paris, talks to the manager of the Louvre, gets the, the, the whole story about the Rembrandt painting, about it turning out to be a forgery. Uh, by this time, of course, Dr. Mann has informed the people that the, the painting he's working on 
uh, the drunks is a fake. So mm-hmm. now we see that there is a we see that aha, it's going to be pretty easy for a, an intelligent detective to put these two things side by side and say there's mm-hmm. way too many coincidences involved in these two crimes twelve years mm-hmm. apart. Mm-hmm. Now, Doctor Death is pissed that his agent let Santo get to Paris. Because now it's, he's, he's a little concerned that, well, you know, I might get found out. We're going to mm-hmm. have to do something about this. This guy's got to get taken out. Santo arrives in Madrid, calls his Interpol contact, 9004. I love that we have, like, code numbers. Oh, you left that a zero. It's 90004. Is it? Yeah. Oh, Jesus, yeah. I only wrote down two zeros. I'm a no. freaking loser. No, and I'm afraid 90004 just doesn't roll off the tongue like 007 does, but, you know... <laughs> <laughs> Which is why we must call him Paul throughout the film. And Agent Paul is fine. Who is the director's brother? I don't know if you noticed that. Yes, that's, an actor who him. pops up in a number of yeah. uh, the director's films as well, a few, as well as a few other films. Yeah, he was in uh, Cutthroat's Nine, I believe. Yes, was he in, was yeah. in Cutthroat, Cut, Cutthroat's Nine. As a matter of fact, acquits himself quite well here. I mm-hmm. do love yeah. that uh, he comes to uh, the he comes to Santo's uh, hotel room. And almost immediately, they are attacked by a bunch mm-hmm. of murderers mm-hmm. sent by uh, Dr. Man to kill these guys. It's a brutal knife, gun, and fist fight that is impressive as hell. Now, yeah. this is our first fight scene other than uh, you know, outside of the ring, ring yeah. outside of the one in the bathroom where yeah. it's just this beat down. Yeah. This is a... Okay, This I'm going to say this repeatedly about this film. The fight scenes in this movie are fucking great. Very, yeah. very good. Oh, they are. They are. They're this is this is this is well probably this might be the single best fight I've ever seen in a Santo film. You know, it kicks it's, ass. It's, I mean, I wish the fights with the werewolves and vampires had been like this kick ass. You know, but I mean, as much as you enjoy those, you know, the, oh, yeah, this yeah. is a, okay. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna use this scene as a as I'm gonna really praise this film, but it also brings up one of the little quibbles I have with the film. Okay, not a, I have a couple of gripes story wise. Very minor ones, but they're ones that I have to mention because they kept they kept making me laugh really more than anything, or kind of bugging me. But uh, yes, you're right. The fight is fantastic. It sets up a great, you know, it proves to Santo very quickly because Santo's very skeptical about. Paul. He's skeptical. He, Paul, I think yeah. of his overall appearance. He's a he's a he's he's kind of a he's maybe a little bit of a hippieish kind of kind of looking. Yeah, he's know, got he's, a, he's got a he's mustache. The, his hair's a little he, long. Yeah, he's like, but so Santo's a little you know uh, a little skeptical. Uh, Paul quickly proves himself because he saves Santo for one thing. It's great how the fight begins. He just kicks him kicks him over in the chair. But it's to avoid because somebody's trying to attack him through to shoot him through the through the glass there, and, and so he throws a knife and catches the guy. And this the fight scene is great because most Santo films the fights have two or three maybe little setups, and they kind of just let the choreographed fight yeah, let it all happen on screen. You know, just kind of like let's set up our two or three camera angles. We've got the fight choreographed. Here's how it's going to go. Let them fight. This the camera is constantly moving, constantly yes. changing angles. A lot of the attacks you don't see it coming until it happens, you know, like like you know where where suddenly you see a character Santa or Paul and they're suddenly attacked from right out of the side of the screen. Yep. You know the pacing is fantastic. Like I said, it's one of the best single fights I've ever seen in any Santo film. But all the all the fights and attacks, you know, starting with the one in the bathroom and with this one, one of the things that just kept bugging me was, you know, apparently at the end of all these fights, there's never a thought of, hey, let's question these guys, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Let's take okay. these guys into custody. Okay, good point. And I and you know, and I realized that I mean it's a minor thing, but it just kept making me. It just gets like I know I understand if you're Santo International, you know, man of action, you get attacked on a daily basis. But you would think <laughs> at one point, instead of like just filling his shoes and casually strolling away, he would maybe like think of, hey, if I take this guy and interrogate him, I might find out who 
Chris Pratt. Up to us, you know, and it never happens. It's like three times in the film they get attacked, and it's just, hey, we won the fight. Let's go have a beer, you know, and well, there, there's a, back and like, you well, know, there's a, there's a thing about this fight where I'm pretty sure that some of these antagonists are actually dead. Well, that could be a case too. It could okay. be a case they might just not have been left alive, and that's very possible. That's very possible. Well, so. one of the things about this fight, and you're right, uh, I don't know that this is the best fight in the film. Mm-hmm. It, for me, it may be the second best fight because I think yeah, the, the one at the, the last whole, is pretty freaking awesome too. Yeah. Knockdown drag out at the end of the movie That's great is pretty too, yeah. fucking amazing too. But the way this is shot and the way the fight scene at the end is shot as well reminded me a whole lot. You're right about uh, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of different camera setups. There's uh, there's nothing static about the way this is done. We mm. get a, we get a lot of angles. We get a lot of variation. Mm. There's a lot of the director is working his ass off to make this fight interesting visually. Yes. Plus, the choreogra- the, choreo- uh, the choreographers mm. of the fight mm. are doing a bang-up job. This reminded me a lot of watching a, a professional, badass, fist-fight, knockdown drag-out from one of the Great Republic serials of mm. the 30s. Oh, yeah, that's a good analogy. Yeah, it's yeah, just, really, where they really... Just go for it, man. Yeah, just, it's yeah. really well edited. It's mm. really well choreographed. Mm. It's very clear at all times... Why these guys are now punching each other? Because you know when some you you know that a, a character who had a gun has now been disarmed. Mm-hmm. You know where the gun went. You mm-hmm. know why someone is trying to get back to a certain area because he, he knows there's a gun. He know there's a gun laying on the floor there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of that going on in this, and mm-hmm. it's just very well handled. And you're right. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I've seen a better fight in a Santo movie ever. Mm-hmm. It's really well done. Yeah. Yeah. And it shows to me, just with what little knowledge I have of the Santos series of films, it shows to me a, a growth, a willingness on Santos' part and on his producers' parts yeah. to stretch outside the bounds of what they're comfortable with and exactly. go with someone who, you know, because this guy had not directed a Santos mm-hmm. film before. Uh, it, it's very clear to me that it was it, it was them being willing to let this professional do his job and mm-hmm. do this the way he's, he, he does it. And it fits very well mm-hmm. within the whole Santo film series because it's a straight-up Santo film with just extra badass fistfights. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's really well And I think Santo shows his years and years now film experience. Uh, yes. You know, it's like, look, yes. okay, yeah, the guy's wearing a silver mask. Okay, we get that he's not going to be able to just do an incredible amount of emoting but he still manages to project some humor in some scenes yep. and some his reactions. He's just very casual. He's very comfortable on screen and yes. all these scenes there. You know, there's nothing stiff about him. He's, he's very, I mean, I just think like you see his, how comfortable he is in front of the camera now after all this, even with the mask on, you know, he actually projects things. You know, he actually projects, well, he does. you know. He does. And he, he does it very well. Mm-hmm. A good example mm-hmm. is when he spots the tail in the airport. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, it's, and it, it, yeah. It's, there's nothing, there's nothing yeah. over the top about yeah. about yeah. his body language. It's, it, mm-hmm. there's, no, there's, no, there's nothing verbal done, mm-hmm. but it's done very, very well, very subtly, very mm-hmm. clearly. Mm-hmm. And you know, okay, mm-hmm. he knows that some bitch is following him. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah. But we're, we're, <laughs> we're, mm-hmm. we're slowing ourselves down. Okay. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, we're back suddenly back to the airport again. <laughs> They go to the Madrid Museum. They learn. They learn about Doctor Man and his and his his forgery opinion. So Santos' wheels are starting to turn here. Mm-hmm. He's starting to compare notes on these two things and get an idea of what's going on. They get a description of this sh- this uh, Schwartz guy who died in the plane crash. Uh, and then we have our next Santo wrestling match. This is his first match in Madrid, mm-hmm. and it's another fun wrestling match. Doesn't add anything to the plot, but it is fun to see. Mm-hmm. After the match, Paul and Santo. Uh, make plans to visit Dr. Man, and they drive down to his castle the next day, 
and the henchmen try. The, several henchmen try to arrange what will look like an accident to kill Santo and Paul. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what that turns into is a downhill drive mm-hmm. with Santo <laughs> at the wheel. <clears throat> that is pr- once again another really impressive action mm-hmm. sequence. Yeah. That uh, strangely enough, I saw echoes of this this out of control downhill mm. driving sequence in a Bond film years later in mm. uh, For Your Eyes Only. Oh yeah, okay. Uh, that scene takes place in, in Greece, but it still reminded me of it just briefly. Yeah. Of course, you know, mm. I don't think the Bond films are ripping off a Santa, <laughs> but, <laughs> but there's, was, you know, there's only so many ways just, you can film yeah. this kind of thing and it not be you know quite similar yeah. to other other sequences done the same way. So I thought there was actually one thing I thought was neat about that scene, just because it's kind of unexpected. I thought it was kind of neat little twist is the fact that. Paul immediately thinks that was an attempt on their life, and Santo doesn't. <laughs> I, I thought that was Santo good. Was Santo's like, like no, no, it was just an accident. And Paul's like, no, they were trying to get. And I thought that's actually kind of a neat that Santo was actually wrong in this scene. I thought that's kind of a neat yeah, little twist yeah, there yeah. on that. Yeah. Well, they meet with Doctor Mann. Uh, they have questions about uh, the Schwartz guy. They meet Esther, who is one of the models uh, mm. there for Doctor Mann. She is easy on the eyes. I must say. Oh, she's an attractive lady. Who's that? Mm. Who's that actress? Did you have that on your notes? Because I think Maribel Hidalgo. There you go. Now I don't know her. I don't either, but, but I wish I would I wish I man I would, would I would have liked to have known her. Yeah. Well, uh, Paul and Esther walk around the castle. She shows him around while um, Santo talks with Doctor Man. Esther sees a picture of Schwartz and remarks that it looks a whole lot like Peter, the blind guy. Mm-hmm. She's a little worried because sometimes when some of the models leave here, they 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 don't seem to to contact anybody who's still at the castle they don't seem to be mm-hmm. able to she doesn't she's got a specific friend that she made who mm-hmm. was working here as a model and she hasn't heard from her and she just thinks it's a little weird of course we know that woman's probably down in the dungeon <laughs> yeah she is gotta be uh well dr man tells santo that the two uh paintings were damaged in very different ways so nothing to see here move on with mr, mm-hmm. mr. santo go mm-hmm. away per- mm-hmm. go away secret agent <clears throat> yeah. person mm-hmm. uh santo and paul have been fooled because when they leave, they don't think there's anything. Yeah, they're pretty much like yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, we see Doctor Man. Uh, this is where we see Doctor Man's private gallery of stolen mm-hmm, art, mm-hmm. Uh, and of course he has the Mona Lisa. He has yeah. a Goya. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's got all these things that there's no fucking way he has, yeah. which which is fine. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's just my question is when you have Helga Linné there, why would you want to gaze upon <laughs> paintings all the time when you have uh, a living work of art? But uh, Helga is worried about what Esther may have said to Paul. Mm-hmm. But Dr. Man's like, eh, you know, they obviously I think we got him fooled. Don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. Paul intercepts. Although he does say, like, just to be sure, go ahead and kill Esther when we don't need her for mod- for modeling anymore. <laughs> just just to be sure, you know. Well, I got the feeling he's going to do the, all of them anyway. Yeah, I think they're all hitting They're all hitting that acid bath at some point. At so. some point. They're yeah. getting they're getting mm-hmm. something cut out of them and dumped <laughs> and into an acid bath. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, that's just, that, that's <laughs> just the plan. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, at this point, even though they, they seem to have been fooled, they decide, you know, let's go ahead and put a female uh, Interpol agent in the mm. castle, ta- you know, and see if there's something weird going on there that we may not know about. So they intercept the the model Margaret Smith, mm-hmm. and they switch her out with an Interpol agent played by Myrta Miller. And if, oh. if you thought this film, if I was already loving this film already, it just went up like a huge notch there when 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 my girl comes on screen, man. I do love any time we mm. can get to talk about. Mm. Myrta Miller because well I, I just don't think we get to talk about her enough yeah, and she's yeah. always a pleasure to watch now of course um, 
Did you know that she was in the Bo Derek film Bolero? Yes, I saw. Yes, I did know that. I've I mean, never just seen the, which Bolero. I've never seen that, but I, I feel I have to someday just because of Murta Miller. You I know, I feel like I should have to. to. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's uh, as bad, and just to see if it's truly the train wreck that everybody says it is. I'm going to assume it. I is. assume it probably is, but if Murta's in it. You know, the, well, of the, course, we, we, we've seen Myrta in Count Dracula's Great Love mm-hmm. and, uh, oh, Lord, uh, The Last Kamikaze. Mm-hmm. Oh, geez, what, what else was With Dr. Jekyll and the Werewolf. Oh, yeah, that's right. She was in Dr. Jekyll she and the an Werewolf. She was an eyeball. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she was an eyeball. I forget. So, we have seen her in mm-hmm. so many films that it's just a joy to see her back on screen again. She's wonderful in this movie. Oh, yeah, she's terrific. I, and, and I guess, uh, um, I thought it was funny, I guess... Unless you caught it, I never actually heard them refer to her by any name other than I just called her X One because that's what that's her code, her spy name, and so all I ever heard referred to her is just X One. So, yeah, maybe <laughs> which sounds like right, some Japanese so. supercar or something, you know, or something. But, uh, <laughs> oh, ah, well, that's that that's that's weird. Okay, <laughs> well, uh, so she's posing as this uh, model, Margaret, Margaret Smith, yeah, posing as a uh, who is a friend of. Esther's, and so that's the first hurdle they got to get past. Is they've got to she's got to hope that Esther doesn't blow her cover right immediately, which Esther does not. And that and that's very well done. It is uh, once yeah, again yeah. that scene is well played. Mm-hmm. The actresses handle it very well. Once Helga once Helga Lene shows uh, Myrta to her room, Myrta really quickly, being the clever spy woman that she is, spots the hidden mics in the mm-hmm. in the room and realizes, okay, something's going on here mm-hmm. because they're trying to. They're trying to uh, to keep too close too close of the tab tabs on their other models. Mm-hmm. So uh, when Esther visits, she's very careful to point to the mics, and they don't communicate anything that will give either of them away mm-hmm. in the room where the mics are. So they go out on a walk for a walk on the grounds to compare notes. Mm-hmm. That night, dinner in the castle, uh, charming conversation. Everything seems very uh, you know very. Um, Above board, nothing mm-hmm. seems really uh, untoward. There are no indications from anybody that something strange or, or sinister is going on. That night, Myrta goes on a little snooping trip and finds the catacombs underneath the castle, mm-hmm. as well as some steel doors. She uh, gets her way through a few of the steel doors, finds the henchmen's quarters, although the henchmen aren't there, and she finds the secret entrance to Doc's gallery, but she can't spot the paintings because all the paintings they're are hidden covered, behind. Right. Yeah, they're, they're covered behind mm-hmm. uh, fake fake um, mm-hmm. walls. Uh, the Doc, good old Dr. Man, finds her there in that room, and she plays it off, claiming that she was looking for something to read because she can get to sleep. Now, Peter becomes suspicious at this point, yeah. but... I like the fact that Dr. Mann's like, I don't know. She doesn't really yeah. seem, it doesn't really seem like something. I mean, I buy mm-hmm. I buy what she's saying. Uh, then we see uh, Santo match number three, mm-hmm. where his opponent, <clears throat> now this is where it actually, we get, this match actually yeah. kind of folds yeah. Yeah. into the plot of the film. Because his opponent has been paid off to try to actually kill Santo, and uh, at one point actually tries to use a knife to kill our masked man. This is a masked match both uh, yeah. Santo and his opponent is masked and uh, at the end of this once Santo has kicked this motherfucker's ass we do get to see him uh, getting his mask ripped off yeah. by the um, mm-hmm. the referee mm-hmm. which it, which is very cool it's, it's, it's yeah. a neat, it's a neat little thing to have included in there and mm-hmm. uh, Juan point, pointed out pointed out uh, earlier about how you know those those things were taken very seriously oh it's pretty much you were finished if you got unmasked yeah, yeah. You, you, know, could, you could you could come back but you could not be that yeah. persona again that mask yeah. was retired yeah. you were going to have to build your reputation all over again mm-hmm. and I, I, just, I think that's really fascinating to, to include that aspect of uh, things in a film mm-hmm. like this but yet again, apparently nobody thinks to ask him, hey, 
who slipped you the knife and why were you, you know, it's like, yeah, again, we well, have see, no. here, But see, here's the thing. I, this one I can buy, this one I can actually believe okay. because this could just be just an a, asshole. Just an unscrupulous wrestler. Yeah, an unscrupulous wrestler. wrestler. This could just yeah, be I a could, jerk. it could be. So the, I would, I, mm-hmm. I, I, this one I will let slide for that, mm-hmm. but... Okay. Yeah, yeah, the earlier things. Unless they killed that son. <laughs> unless they just the killed him. Unless they, yeah, true. Unless they were good. Yeah, unless they couldn't respond. That's very I, possible. I can, I can see where you're, I can see where you're, what you're talking about there. <laughs> oh, this is this now. This is awesome. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. This is awesome. Uh, uh, I love that. You know, it's not going to be an, a true Euro spy James Bondian kind of film without some sort of special secret spy gadget. You know, so oh, I love that the closest we. Can, what we get here is X1, Merton Miller, uh, you know, is using his huge transmitter in her car trunk, you know. Yeah, too. yeah. I love it. <laughs> and that's just, that's just awesome. That is like, yes, some, this is some high-tech stuff here, man. There's just this huge transmitter sitting in the back trunk of her car. This is this is our this is our Eurospy gadget for the film, is this. Uh... But what I love is that later on when they've become really suspicious of her yeah. and they've, they've gassed her and tied oh. her down to it, tied, tied her down in the oh, cat. She has a story. She has a, she, she has, has a, story she has a prepared that, that, story. Yeah. And it's a believable story. <laughs> I know story. it is actually. <laughs> and I'm once it's an, it's another one of those points. It's like, mm-hmm. I kept racking up, you know, mm-hmm. like good mm-hmm. points for this film mm-hmm. where it's like, okay, these are all, these are all things, you know, mm-hmm. that they could, they could walk mm-hmm. themselves into story wise and trip themselves up yeah. by making something happen that doesn't seem believable. Mm-hmm. And damn it. If the, <clears> you know, the explanation that she gives, First of all, mm-hmm. Peter believes it because mm-hmm. it seems very plausible, yeah. and it works within the context of the film, and it also gets mm-hmm. you past that hump of okay, she's now in danger. They now suspect her. They're yeah. not, you know, they they're they're about yeah. to put a scorpion on her to get her to talk, and she sticks to her story and 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 musters through it. Yeah. I was impressed by this. Yeah, no, I love that. I do love that scene. I know we're kind of getting a little ahead of ourselves here, there, but no, I do no, no, I do love the fact that, that she's that, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, basically, eventually they discover that. But I love the fact that you kind of what we're getting at the point here is that nobody in this film is an idiot, which is very nice, which is very yes. refreshing. All the characters on both sides play kind of a cat and mouse sort of things with each other. And like there's this great scene where, you know, Myrta Miller's trying to prove that Peter isn't blind. Yes. And she doesn't, she sort of does it, but not in an obvious way. And, but at, she's not able to do it without him also realizing that that's what she's trying to do. So at the end of the scene, you have. Peter realizing that she tried, she was trying to prove that he wasn't blind. You also have Merton Miller realizing that he probably knows that and realized what she was doing and that they probably need to get the hell out of there pretty soon, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so I like, again, I like the fact that the characters are all kind of, nobody's really an idiot in this film, you know? They're, it's they're true. Blind, so, which is good. <clears throat> well, we see now Esther has been locked up with the, uh, the other prison girls mm-hmm. down in the, down in mm-hmm. the cellar or dungeon. I like the dungeon. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, this is where we get an explanation from one of the other girls down there about what the hell is going on. Mm-hmm. We may have suspected things up to this point. It gets all laid out for us, which is that all those girls are there. They're being injected with something that gives them uh, fibroid tumors that uh, are used in the pr- that are <laughs> then cut out of them and mm-hmm. used in this bizarre process to copy these paintings uh, and these these injections. They they're injected for five months and then they can extract. Mm-hmm these tumors out of them and use them in this process. And then dump the bodies into the acid. And so these are some depressed girls. I was going to say, if you you didn't quite get the 
amount of depravity and evil going on here. Let's lay this out one more time for you. Yes. This man is taking women, injecting them with cancer. Yes. <laughs> now, now, that's just it. This is... Also... He's giving them cancer. Yes. All because he needs something from these tumors that allows him to just enjoy his art collection. Now, now, now think about think that. Think about that. <laughs> think about that. This is what a rich bastard gets up to. Yeah. That's why you can't trust him. Right. Eat the rich, people. Eat the rich. <laughs> Well, Santo becomes a little worried because at this point it's been more than 40 hours since Murda Miller has checked in with him. So I think it's time to visit the castle. Mm-hmm. So, oh, by, and this is where we see our next surgery of one of the, of one of the women and the disposal of her. So we, we see the, the surgery, mm-hmm. uh, the copying process, the, uh, the slide down into the acid bath all over again. And we now see. Here's, here's something that I need to bring up. Sure. It's another little story problem, and I want to see if it struck you the same way. Not a huge one again, but one that I couldn't really account for is this particular, this second time we see the surgery happen. Right. We get a preface to it that somebody, and it might be uh, Helga Linnea, I can't remember from the scene, but somebody tells the doctor, a woman in town has died of cancer. Oh, that's right. And so this, they still, so they go to steal this, you know, they apparently abduct this or steal this woman's body, and this is who this surgery is on. Because they figured she's got cancer. Which. I'm not really sure why that was even necessary to well because like I, why I, I do it, I do because remember we just got the information that it takes five months of these injections for the girls the tumors within okay the body. so so nobody was ready is what you're right. saying is nobody right. was ready yet in the so in the garage, it, there seems to be a there. minimum of five mm-hmm. months mm-hmm. for this cancerous growth mm-hmm. to be effective. And so, at that point, they don't have another girl who's far enough long in the process right. for them to mm-hmm. get get out of these tumors what they need. Mm-hmm. And so, this woman who had cancer, they can extract the stuff from her, and she had it for obviously longer than five months, and yeah. so they're good. Okay, that so makes that, sense. They, they don't spell it out precisely, except that we've just been given that whole five yeah. months information. Okay. And the fact that Helga Linnae brings this information to the doc, and he's like, oh, okay, well, that's okay. good. Okay. Because we, you know, you know, da, 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 da. that makes sense. But I will say that I think it would have been maybe a little more dramatic if one of the girls down there in the had been ready to go because then Esther, we, we, Esther is now down there with the right. girls, and then you would see the henchman come in and actually grab one of the girls that she's just been talking with. Dramatic wise, I think that would have had a little more power than than what we. I see what you're saying. Your explanation makes sense to me, but I think it might have been. For the sake of drama, might have been a little worked out a little better that way, but I see what but anyway, saying. anyway, just again, just I, anyway, but no, your explanation does make sense. I do get, I, I, I had not thought about that. I forgot the five month waiting period kind of thing, and that yeah. that does so that in that respect that does make sense. So yeah, otherwise okay. they could just inject these women yeah. and then yeah, Instant. you know, yeah, yeah exactly. you extract whatever they need yeah. and then go on. <laughs> well, the uh, the that night we see uh, Paul and Santo scale the castle walls. Because, yeah, of course, they have a grappling hook like everyone does. Well, they have a grappling gun, even better. grappling gun, which is even better, man. There's another so good awesome. gadget there, another good spy gadget there, the grappling gun. Well, there are alarms all over the castle, and at some point they uh, they trip one of them, and they are mm. spotted on the uh, closed-circuit TV video stuff. Mm-hmm. And so they they know that the, the, the bad guys know they're there. They're headed down toward the cellar. They uh, they almost get trapped in the gas room that actually is where they got Murda Miller and Esther Esther earlier, earlier right, yeah. Santo is able to dive out of the room. Paul is not so lucky, and it mm-hmm. is fight time. Now, this is another one of those badass oh, fights. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, where uh, it's, uh, 
the the henchman starts out with a handgun, and it's just not good enough for Santo to not smack that shit out of his hand. <laughs> he uses, and I love that the the fact that this fight goes on. This is this is really well done. Mm-hmm. And then when Santo breaches the fucking laboratory, he uses that henchman as a human shield. Oh yeah, that Peter is starts firing at him. <laughs> yeah. and that, I'm telling you, that henchman, if he wasn't he's dead done. before he came in the room, he's dead now. <laughs> and that fight starts, and then the fight goes into overtime with this going, I mean, this mm. goes down pretty mm. heavy duty. We get into some uh, Frank Bronick ass kicking, mm. or his ass mm. getting kicked. Uh, Santo is able to uh, let Paul out of the gas room, and uh, then uh, the doc and Helga are in. Of course, we haven't even called Helga Lene's character by her character name at all. Which is Sarah, I think, right? Sarah, yes. Yes, Sarah. you're right. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. All She's my notes, are, all, all my yeah, notes know, are, yeah. are Helga. <laughs> Well, they're in the copy the copy room overseeing the the process. Peter captures Paul and ties him up. Brana uh, attacks Santo again mm. because Santo just cannot kill. I don't understand what the yeah. hell's wrong with him. <laughs> During the time, there's a great exchange. One of my favorite my favorite line di- piece of dialogue from the film is when they have Paul tied up and the doctor's kind of I think kind of giving him you know he's doing his I think his little spiel about here's here's what here's what I here's my grand you know oh yeah here's the, here's the, here's the Bond villain explaining uh, his yeah, plot exactly you know? and I love that Paul says. Paul says, you're insane, and Dr. Mann says, that's possible, but my insanity is sublime. <laughs> and I, was I know. That it's, is a great line. <laughs> it's a great line, and it is delivered so well. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I and, love that. And the I plan is, and then the plan is Sarah's ready to give Paul the acid bath, but things go a little wrong for, for Sarah there. Yeah, our beloved because, Helga. Because about uh, that time's when when yeah. Santo busts in on the scene. And all hell breaks loose. Yeah. Uh, they try to uh, shove Paul down mm, exactly. in the acid yeah. chute, but that does not happen, and that is when it becomes bye-bye Helga. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, oh, <laughs> she slides down the chute, and our poor Helga goes into the acid bath. Uh, I yeah. feel I yeah. feel that... <laughs> I feel that it's wrong. It is. It is. But right. But right. Yeah. I don't yeah. know exactly how to feel about it, except I mean, I would I would probably tear up more, except that I can rewind it and see her again. So it's yeah. okay. Yeah. But you're right. The, the fact that Helga's hair never comes down out of that bun on her yeah, head. Yeah, it's like is it's just a we do feel a little. Yeah, yeah I feel that yeah. we got shortchanged a little bit there. Just a little. Uh, but not on the fighting action. The fighting action is no. just is just top notch here. Uh, how about when Santo blows the damn lab door open and starts uh, yeah, just and rolls just, in yeah, kicking ass? I know that's a great entrance where he's just like bam, you know. So, Time yeah. to start whipping some uh, ass in this room now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Santo chases Peter through the booby trapped catacombs. And this is, is an incredible cool Scott, what a great sequence. I know. I, I wonder know. if we've seen I'm, I, we probably have seen these catacombs in other films. I don't know if it's the they ones look that you, similar to the stuff in Hunchback, but the Hunchback I, stuff was I filmed in Germany, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, see I don't feel like I thought that too, but I don't think it's the same ones, but I bet you we've seen them somewhere else. I bet probably. you we've seen them in other films because maybe, they're too maybe, they're too good not to use. Maybe in Count Dracula's Great Love. Possibly. I think about possibly. That. But uh, but I love this whole running the gauntlet. I mean, basically because Peter's rig- setting off all these Indiana Jones oh, style traps behind him. You know that Santo's got to basically get through, and it's just a great sequence. I know there's like there's like a arrows gun and, and fire, arrows and, yeah. and like, like a, a freaking blowtorch and, yeah. and falling stones, big heavy stones mm-hmm. that he can that he can trip and get crushed by. Mm-hmm. Really kind of amazing. Uh, at this point, everything else is wrapped up. How does I can't I can't remember how Doctor Man gets put down. Yeah, I'm gonna have to get to that. Uh, that's actually another. That's my last. Uh, that's my last gripe about. Well, the, go ahead. The film. Well, okay, because look, you know, okay. Well, let's say what happens with Santo chases Peter out of these beautiful cliffs where these all these catacombs yeah. end up on these beautiful. Blah, 
And then we get the the great old Eurospy standby, the James Bond standby is the high speed boat chase, you know, which is straight, straight. you never get enough of the high speed boat chase. Straight out of from Russia with love. And I just love the whole way it begins that Santo gets to do a great cliff dive, you know, into the water yeah. because because Peter's got the jump Peter's got the lead on him and he gets into one boat. Conveniently there's a second you know, well, there's got to be a second boat, second boat hey, there. On. You know, so Santo does a great cliff dive. To Although get to I that wish boat. there'd been like three or four, so it wouldn't feel quite He's so quite so just like <laughs> quite so convenient. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> here's here's my getaway boat, and here's the boat that someone can chase me in. You know, so yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just to cover all bases. So I'm just imagining yeah. them being labeled that way. Yeah. <laughs> getaway yeah. boat, getaway boat, chase boat, <laughs> pursuer boat, pursuey boat. Yeah. So, but but yeah, so so Santo's chasing. We're getting the high speed boat chase. In the meantime, Paul is it. Paul has managed to get a. They managed to call in a helicopter so Paul's flying above it all with the helicopter there it has a great man great stunt work I mean we have a wonderful fight wonderful fight between Santo and uh, Peter on the boat basically it all culminates in a in a bad ending for Peter you know Paul uh, uh, Peter Paul's like a, yeah I was bound to <laughs> Peter make Paul that. and Mary unfortunately we do have a Peter and Paul in this film did no one not see the confusion that was going to cause <laughs> but anyway. just be glad there's not yeah. a Mary, a Mary. <laughs> or it would have been ten times worse yeah <laughs> right, yeah, it would have turned into a folk sing along. So yeah, but so so Santo jumps off the boat. Uh, Peter does not, and collides with the cliff, and we get a fire explosion. And uh, and then Paul, it's, and it's a good dummy death. Oh, it is a very good. You even can see the dummy get to burn up and yeah. Um, so all that was so awesome. It took me the second time to realize that wow, the fate of Doctor Man was really fucking lame. You know, because Peter, I mean, it's obviously the younger and the more athletic. You can understand why the big chase fight would go on between him and Santo. But let's face it, I mean, who is the the super evil bastard, you know, in this film? I mean, is is and think about what this guy has done. You know, Doctor Man is not only was his plot already insane and evil, but, you know, in the end of most of these films it would be, oh great, the heroes have saved the you know, the heroes have saved the poor girls who are on prison in the basement. Well, guess what? They've all got cancer. They're probably all still gonna die. I mean, this is seriously depressing. Yeah. Just super evil stuff. Dr. Man, uh, once Santo bursts into the lab and there's the fight, you know, the next time you see Dr. Man is he's basically been handcuffed. They've handcuffed him to... Oh, that's right. And that's it. And I was just thinking, like, you know, I think we needed something a little more satisfying for old Dr. Man, unless they were planning a, a, a series of these, you know, like sent, like he was going to be the Blofeld or whatever. Of, I agree with you. You know like, what I wanted? Just to see him go in the acid bath? That would have been no, nice. No, no right. better. Yeah. I wanted to see him get locked in the room with... The women. The women. Oh, and the that women nice. kill him. Drop a few scalpels in there and I would let him go to town. Just let, let them, let them attack him yeah. and beat him down. That would have been nice. Cause I, but like I said, the ending, I thought that whole last climax chase, the whole last thing with Peter and Santo and that whole last chase was so good. It literally was not until the second time viewing through that I realized I was actually watching. Like, I can't remember what happened to Dr. Man. And I saw it was like, that's it? And it's like, yeah, we needed something more, you know, so... That that was that was that was one more little kind of kind of quibble I had. Now I understand that the film was already going. You know, the film's at, at a ninety six minutes for that time. I realize that's that's a stretch in the length a little bit for films of this nature. So I realized there couldn't have been just a whole whole lot of other plot put in there. But I felt like we needed some better wrap up with with the Doctor. It's, he is the title character, by the way. So. Now I, I I do agree with you. Uh, I definitely do agree with you that I would have loved to have seen. Like I say, I would have preferred to see Doctor Man torn apart, killed oh, in yeah. some way. I think by, we all would have. Yeah. Well, by the models, yeah. by the yeah. women that he's. Tied, been, and that's, he's I didn't think up. about that, but you're right. That would have been the perfect. That would have been the perfect ending. For that him. would have been the way I would like to have seen him go out. 
that was that Santo doing all the you know dangling off that ladder under the helicopter and all that shit. I don't know, but whoever was doing it was awesome. I, I don't know if that was the case. I mean, I know it is. I mean, Santo's obviously in great shape for his age, but the guy had to be in his fifties at that point, and so I don't know. Late forties, early fifties, yeah. But he, yeah. It, whoever it is, it looks very. I mean, he looks like Santo. I mean, as far as his shape, his size, I mean, he's very you know believable as Santo. But whoever it is, are just doing an incredible job. Uh, oh, I know. With the well, stunt and, work and, on that boat. The, the stunt work on. The, I mean, and even and Frank Brana, I don't know if it's Frank Brana, but it looks like Frank Brana, too. I mean, they, there's oh, it, no yeah. point in watching all that. It did either of those guys look like not who the characters are? Oh, no, it did yeah. look like so. Uh, now, in all the in all the, the fights, and that scene, wasn't Frank Brana. I'm sorry, that was uh, uh, Peter. Oh, is not uh, uh, that plays uh, Peter? Oh, the guy that plays Peter. Uh, right? uh, gosh, I don't know if we've even mentioned him yet, did we? And, and oh, Antonio Pica. Antonio Pica, who was in Blue Eyes of the Broken Doll. Hunchback of the Morgue. The the great thing about the all of the fights, all of the the fist fights and stuff, is definitely Santo, and he's of course a professional. Oh sure, right. So you're yeah. gonna you're gonna use his skills in that area. Right. But the the amazing thing to me is that all this stunt work, and it is real stunt work, is it looks like it is Santo and Antonio mm. Pica. It looks mm. like that's who it is. It really does. Yeah, it's great. So it's really impressive. I really enjoy the hell out of it. I mean, the film only occasionally shows some budgetary limitations, and I will agree with you, and it certainly didn't occur to me that they should be quizzing the uh, the, the, the goons the goons <laughs> yeah. that they beat the yeah. shit out of during, uh, at various points in the uh, film that didn't that did not occur to me so that's 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 a weakness on my part uh, where I'm just along for the ride and enjoying what I'm seeing I think a quick way you could have got around that without having to add too much to the plot time or, or have too much to you know to keep them from having to still be able to figure out the plot you could have easily done like you know they have the old cyanide capsule the doctors arrange some way for them to die before they can betray or you could, do it, you you could also do it with a line of dialogue with it, that basically before, they could even just say like they, they could just say they could just say that these these guys Guys, you know they they don't know who their their real right. employer yeah. is. Yeah. They're being hired by one of the goons who's actually going yeah. with them. That's so, true. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, they could just say, "Well, we got nothing out of them," or you know, and just right. something to move. So, to you know, so just yeah. a simple line of dialogue here mm-hmm. or there that would have indicated that okay. Whether, whether we're seeing it or not, these mm-hmm. goons are being interrogated by you know by Interpol exactly. agents or by the local cops or whatever. Yeah. So. Right. So uh, I do love that. Uh, once the the boat crash happens and and Santos back on the the ladder mm. in the in the helicopter and is lifted out of the water boom cut to the plane at the airport and by god we're oh, the hell out of here well, he's, you know he's like it's like Godzilla man it's like once it's over you know there's no messing around you just you're, you're ready to leave everybody stands waving goodbye in this case you get this case, yeah, you've got uh, Myrta Miller, you know, as uh, X one as we got the real Margaret Smith. Uh, we've got uh, uh, Paul and Esther, and they're all doing the old bye bye. Wave bye to Santo. And Santo and his agent. I love that his manager, his manager, Santo, his, actual his manager, manager, his yeah. actual manager. They're obviously off to another another bout somewhere, and you know, and 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 by the way, there's you know probably some heroin ring we need you to like you know <laughs> to look into, look into there, you know. So, uh, but uh, yeah. Yeah, great stuff. Great stuff. Well, now um, we've we've talked about the fact that okay, both obviously we we both mm. love this film and it is very much a piece of the the Eurospy genre and yeah. that is a big plus for yeah, me because sure. I, I love Eurospy stuff. The thing that I find most intriguing about this movie is that it is both a Santo movie and a, a Eurospy mm. film. It is an mm. espionage thriller, mm-hmm. uh, and it works in both arenas really does, very yeah. effectively. Yeah, it does. Um, that's, that's, that was a surprise to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, another little surprise is, uh, in, case you're, uh, in case you're wondering, folks, this movie is dubbed in English. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it is. is yeah. And it is dubbed very, very well. It is, now, actually. Yeah. Uh, this is an excellent dub job. This is mm-hmm. a professional dub job, and I suspect that one of the reasons why, one of the things that you'll find if you start watching Santo films from the 70s is that Generally, they were not dubbed into English. The, the Santo films that the that got dubbed into English are the ones that were done by the K. Gordon Murray. When, when K. Gordon Murray bought them, he dubbed them into English 
uh, the ones that he bought, and he trimmed them down a little bit. Mm-hmm. But these were generally earlier black and white films, and generally the monster movies. Mm-hmm. The reason this one got dubbed into English was that it was one of the Euro- European productions, and that was just the way things were done at the time. And so, in a lot of ways, we as English speakers got really lucky yeah. that this was a European production, yeah, and therefore right. it fell under that kind of uh, umbrella of Good dubbing point. was being done. This is you know this is going to be done. This is the way the production is. This is the way the production rolls forward. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so we got this one easily. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> nobody had to sit down and mm-hmm. do subtitles for mm-hmm. this one. We got the, the the sheer uncut English language version of this, and it's it's a glory to behold. This is mm-hmm. this is a really professional job. Mm-hmm. Very happy with the way this. I'm very happy with the English dub mm-hmm. of this movie. Something else I'd like to point out that I'm very happy with is the score, which I believe me, you've already heard because I'm sprinkling it throughout the podcast. Mm-hmm. I love the score of this movie. The main theme is. I amazing. was really impressed with it too. The music is always seems fitting. It's never intrusive, you know, or awkwardly chosen. I mean, nope. it's it's it seems to all all the different types of scenes. You know, the music just is so well fits the scene great. So. Uh, I just want to make sure that the, the guy who composed the music's name gets, me, gets yeah, mentioned. Yeah, definitely. Gr- Gregorio Garcia Segura. Segura. Yeah, Segura. And, uh, yeah, he's, yeah. He's very, the, the music for this is very, very good. It I, is. I, I'm, I'm very impressed by it. Something else, I like the cinematography. The, the, the print that we have is a damn good print. It is, yeah, yeah. But, uh, I mean, I can easily imagine someone going back. I'd love to see oh a, a nice restoration. I'd like to see a, a nice digital restoration from original negatives mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. all of the Santo films. Mm-hmm. Especially, they, especially they restore it using women's tumors, you know. It isn't that special <laughs> special ingredient from women's tumors well, yeah, just yeah, to yeah. make it that special. To maybe make, that's what they actually... To make, that's to what make they, a perfect copy. Yeah, maybe that's what all these great restored prints we watch. Maybe that's what they really use. It's some massive... <laughs> there's an evil actually mad scientist behind it that we, don't, we just don't know that. <laughs> if that's what's being done... I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I want to be able to enjoy these films without feeling the guilt that would be wrapped up in knowing that I have, you know, we have to, for each film restoration, we have to kill a beautiful woman. I don't need to know that. Please, please don't let that be what's happening. I am so glad that we finally got to cover a Santo film. I'm so glad that it's one that neither one of us had seen. Of course, we didn't pick this film at random. Of course, we were led to this film by the fact that there are so many Spanish actors in it. Right, yeah. It was one of our our listeners uh, sent us, I think, in one of our our emails, one of our Gmails to NashyCast actually had, uh, I believe, tipped us off in a letter, I believe, to us that said, like, you know, this film has these people, and as soon as we saw it, they were like, oh, my God, we got to check this out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we have to check this out. Now, I have the feeling that eventually... I would have covered a Santo film. I would have found some way mm-hmm. to cover a Santo mm-hmm. film. And this was before I realized just how much of a Santo fanatic you are. So I'm very glad that we've got like another mm-hmm. track yeah, of, of films that we can delve into for podcasts down yeah. the road. But uh, for our first Santo film to cover, damn, we got a winner here. Yeah, we really did. I we really, really did. like this. Uh, I Like I say, I've not seen a Santo film that I did not enjoy. Yeah, same But here. there are ones that are better than others. Yeah. Um, this is top notch mm-hmm. santo this is this is well, this is really good i i agree uh what what was your rating what what was your rating on it what was your uh, well i went back and forth mm-hmm. between a 7 and an 8 yeah no. i really did mm-hmm. and uh i think i finally ended up going ahead and saying it was on the second viewing i i, I kept thinking seven and a half, seven and a half, but i won't let myself do that mm-hmm. so i think i'm just going to fall on the 8 i really Really enjoyed. This. I had the I had the same dilemma, seven or eight, and I felt I felt eight too. You know, it's yeah. just like uh, and I'm and and so much. I mean, and you right the second viewing, even even starting to look for flaws, flaws in the and finding a few, and still 
them being so minute that it still just, even on second viewing, was so solid and held up. And I was just, again, impressed even more technically with how good it was was done. I'm, I don't know if you felt this way, but going into when I knew we were going to do this podcast, I sort of was kind of gearing myself up for having to sort of... Apology is not the right word. Make excuses? Qualify the Santo films as far as like in explaining them for people who, you know, might not be familiar with them to say that Santo films generally to me are something you either get or you don't. In other words, like... Yeah, yeah. You you immerse yourself in that universe, but the thing is, is 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 Santo films are kind of the closest thing. Like you know, there's no real such thing really as far as a guilty pleasure. I mean, no one really feels guilty about the things they like, the art that they like, or the kind of things they like, and they should, and unless it's like you know, doing something devious with little children or something. You know, it's like no one should, no or, one should really, or sleeping with a best friend's wife. Yeah, or something exactly. Stupid like like that. In general, that, in that general, should be a guilty pleasure. Yeah, yeah. In general, you know, we throw those terms out all the time, but but I think like guilty pleasures to me, if we were really going to define what what that would be is maybe those types of films that you enjoy, but you can't really necessarily defend on a real artistic level in the sense of like that you can't. Oh, like, I see what you're, yeah, yeah. And and majority of Santo films for me are I always enjoy them. You know, like you said, you know, to varying degrees. You know, but I've never seen one I didn't enjoy. Right. But there's very few of them that I find myself like thinking like that this is just man this is aesthetically really impressive you know this is incredible cinematography yeah. or this is just like super acting or man or you're, this, or you're noticing the good score or, or, you're, or incredible or you're notice, tight script or like yeah. really intricate you're noticing, like, the, you're noticing yeah. how well plotted it yeah. is it's, and, it's, it's, it's really more just like you know you just love this universe where a guy can wrestle and wear a, a silver mask and can and at the same time have a secret like lab in his you know and, and, and can be connected <laughs> with can be a secret agent you can and, invent a time machine yeah and and explore and kill, fight Dracula and those kind of things. So you just you either accept that universe and you love that and you enjoy these films because of that. But you know it'd be hard to go to somebody who doesn't who who didn't think was dialed into that way and be able to say like, hey, even if you're not interested in all that stuff, this is just a really well made film you you might enjoy. You know. Yeah. And so I was kind of gearing up to give that sort of presentation of this, and then man, was I just totally you're, knocked you're, out. I realized I'm like, shit, make, this is. You're a, ready to start talking about yeah. making allowances for yeah, and then the I realized like, that it's yeah, a part and then of. Then I realized that this is this film. I don't have to make any allowances for. I mean, it's like this film is well edited and well directed, and the cinematography is good, and it's technically well made and. Definitely well directed. Yeah, and, and an interesting and, and fast paced and, and you know intriguing plot, and so I was just, that was just a great uh, discovery to just I was thinking like man what what how you know what great how great that turned out that this film turned out to be this way, and uh, so I definitely gave it an eight, and uh, it feels like it feels very much like a seventy Spanish film, and what I mean by that is it does not feel like a Mexican film, and there are and there is a definite difference there, and yeah, it's too yeah. much to go into for this you know for the length of this show you could do a whole show on the differences between Spanish films and Mexican films, but I would love to sometime hear both Juan and Elena give a take on what they, th- on how, kind of give us an idea of how do people in Spain, I would always love to know how people in Spain view Mexican cinema. Do they see it as a kindred sort of thing or do they just see it as a totally thing, I said, you know, just because they're using the same language, right? but they're very, very different. I mean, the films, you know, you can, you, the feel of most of the films are very, very specifically different. and, and Especially and, in the 60s and 70s. Yes, and I, and it's it's again it's too too much to go into now, but it but it's one thing where this this definitely this is another reason why this does not feel like your typical Span you know Santo Mexican film. This feels like a Spanish film. And watching, I was thinking like this is the closest we'll ever get to knowing what a Cel Santo versus El Hombre Lobo film would have looked would have felt like. You know, <laughs> oh, man, if only see, we had seen I, that. Yeah, but, yeah, but, now, but, see, but this, yeah. now that you brought that up, that is actually where my brain was going as well uh, mm. when I was making notes for this, which is that you know as many monsters as Santo fought 
fought mm-hmm. in various yeah. films over yeah. the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the dream mm-hmm. that you know occurs is just if there had been an El Santo yeah. versus yeah. El Hombre Lobo. And when you see that this kind of film happened here, I mean, it, it could have almost opened the door for something like that. Oh, I know. know. It could have. I mean, they could, they could, you wouldn't be a hard leap to like suddenly make a Santo versus the Blind Dead or Santo versus El Hombre Lobo film because uh, here he was making this film with obviously a Spanish in Spain with a Spanish crew, and you know, oh, uh, my my, my imagination know. is completely on fire with the <laughs> I idea know, with what could have been. Yeah, <laughs> and, and you know, the, we we unfortunately we know those paths weren't taken. Sure, and yeah, so yeah. It, it it'll remain one of those great what ifs. Yeah. But you're right. The fact that it could definitely have happened is one of those great what ifs that will just mm. stick with us forever and will make mm. us, us movie lunatics who are mm. fascinated by your occult cinema yeah. and these kind of movies in general mm. just kind of gnash our teeth and go, oh, if only it had happened. If only there had been you yeah. know, <laughs> any, any kind of crossover whatsoever, yeah. any kind of attempt yeah. to collaborate would have been amazing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're, yeah. you know. Sadly, that's gonna you know, it's yeah. gonna remain it's gonna, <laughs> gonna remain one of those great lost things that yeah. just never occurred. But yeah. ah. <sighs> much like watching Helgoliday slide down a, a chute <laughs> into an acid bath, <laughs> I, I have I have incredibly mixed feelings. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it looks really cool, yeah. <laughs> and I know she's not really dead, but yeah. why has she got to leave? <laughs> yeah, and she deserved it, but. She should have just stuck, you know, it's like she could she have been rehabilitated naked, you know, it's like naked should be <laughs> Perhaps she could be a lingerie model or, or a bikini model. I don't know, something. God, if she could at least worn some of the stuff that Myrta Miller and uh and the oh, and, and the woman actress playing Esther wear, you know, in the film. There but, was yeah, there was some well, I mean there's no nudity in the film. No. Uh it does make me wonder if there were alternate scene shot. Yeah. Uh, yeah. because I have, I have no information mm. about there possibly being some alternate scene shot, but wow. Mm. Yeah, they're still very revealing. And of yeah. course those two actresses Wow. Yeah. <laughs> there, there, there's a reason they're they were picked to play models. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Something else I noticed that has no I don't know if anybody else there knows or not. It has no bearing on anything because there's nothing real. I mean, there's no real connection between it. But I, I kept thinking how much Myrta Miller looks like the character Francesca from Mad Monster Party. Uh, you know, now now <laughs> there can't be a connection because that was made in the '60s. Uh, long before I think Murta Miller probably would have been seen. I mean, I, if they had been made around the same time, I could have almost imagined that Jack Davis saw Murta Miller when he was designing Francesca. But when I look at them now, a side by side comparison, I'm just like, God, they look so much alike. You know? That's crazy. That's pure crazy. All right, folks. Well, listen, we're going to wrap this discussion up of uh, Santo versus Dr. Death and uh, take a quick break. And when we come back, We've got a, a few pieces of mail. Yes, you've actually it. listened to our pathetic, self-pitying whining on the last few episodes, and you responded <laughs> with some mail. <laughs> oh my god! Don't, don't call us whiners. Let them call. We us might have whiners. hinted a few times that we could have used that we would like to see some mail. Yeah, Tro- Troy. Troy has, has has seen my tears. Has seen my tears. That, that people people are no. God, longer. he's like Charlie Brown going out of the mailbox and just finding stuff for Snoopy all the time. You know, find <laughs> this is all behind the scenes stuff. Don't let people know this. Good God! All right, folks. We'll be back in just a moment, and we will uh, we'll see what kind of mail we have gotten. Hello, and welcome. Welcome to Hello, This is the Doom Show. I am Richard. And I hate the burning. Shh, who are you? Speak. <laughs> and I'm Brad. She came in and said, bark, bark, bark. And he said, bark, bark, And she said, bark, 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 bark. That's what I got. One is the Suspiria boner. The other is the Inferno boner. <laughs> which, anyway. Which one is crying? <laughs> The boner of tears. <laughs> Hello, 
This is the Doomed Show is available on HelloDoomedShow.Podomatic.com and DoomedMovieThon.com. Hello, hello, this is the Doomed Show, Richard, Brad, Jeffrey, Naffa. It's the Doomed Show. Santo. That's right. Santo. One more time. I'm talking about Santo. The man. The man. Viva! De la Santo! Spun it around, reached in, see what we could find, and this is what we pulled out here. Got a really great one from, uh, uh, this is from Oscar. I'm going to read this. He says, hello again. I'm Oscar, a listener from Spain. It's not the first time I've written to you, and this time I will give you some rambling and disjointed pieces of information about who could kill a child. Sorry for not writing before the episode, by the way. Uh, that's, that's okay. The yeah. fact that you wrote Yeah, the fine. fact that you wrote is gold. So, Oscar says... This movie is based on a novel called El Juego de los Niños by Juan Jose Plans. Plans, Plans, whatever. Say, I haven't read it, but it seems Prob- that... In- probably Planus. Planus, Plans, Planus. Yeah, that's actually, you're probably right, Planus. says, I haven't read it, but it seems that in the book it is made more clear that the children are, are being used as pawns by something, he puts quotations around that, by something, maybe nature itself, to get rid of mankind. In the mm-hmm. film, we never get an explanation, but at the beginning we see in the telly and newspapers that Thailand has just fallen to an unnamed enemy and that the American troops are involved in the failed defense. This could imply that in this universe, the Vietnam War has spread to other Asian countries, with the communist forces having the upper hand in what may be the first moments of a new world war. Which, I hadn't even thought about that before, that maybe all that news footage and all that stuff that they're watching is maybe they are actually positing this, because this wouldn't have been long after, I'm trying to think, time-wise, year-wise, was the Vietnam War still even... Uh, on at this point, or no, or not, not by not by seventy, no, by seventy six. It was not by seventy six, not by seventy six. No, but it was, but it hadn't been over that long though, as far as just a few it'd years. Been over so, about three years. About three years, and so maybe they were kind of like positing like the, the, the turmoil in that country maybe had led to something. It's, maybe. it's speculation. Yeah. It almost makes it like an alternate 
history fiction or something. But anyway, he says, so again, something might be trying to avoid a nuclear war by the expedient method of killing every adult human being through a fifth column. It says, there's a Bray Bradbury tale where an alien race befriends the children to make them destroy or enslave their parents. And Narciso Ebenez Cirador has, has adopted several Bradbury stories for television. Oh, wow. Really? Which I would love to see. Holy shit. I would love yes. to see those. Uh, he says, anyway, while this hint of apocalypse enhances the movie's atmosphere, it is a good thing that we don't get a straight explanation. Says Agreed. Another, and, Agreed. Yeah, th- th- that's, 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 the difference, yeah. that's the difference yeah. between a book and a film. Right, right. Uh, a film being ambiguous is sometimes a lot more intriguing. <laughs> mm-hmm. But in a novel... Mm-hmm. Where you can get into it's mm-hmm. a different type of storytelling. It is, and, 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 yeah. and yeah, that's that's. Mm-hmm. Man, first of all, mm-hmm. thank you for this information. Yeah. Before you go, before you even continue. Yeah. And the information that the director of the house, yeah. the house that screamed. Yeah. And who could kill a child? Directed did, directed some television adaptations of Ray Bradbury. That's pretty huge. Now yeah. is like making parts of my brain light up with I, with I with sus- sheer joy. I suspect Cinemageddon will be crashing soon with Rod's uh, Rod's uh, hunting to try and find. No, these that things. kind of stuff's just not going to turn not up. Gonna there. Show I have up there, no yeah. idea if there's even a, a, yeah. an English language. Oh man, yeah. that's that's depressing. He says another, but more likely. Uh, excuse me. He says another, but more unlikely possible source of inspiration would could be an Argentinian novel called Di, called uh, Diario de la Guerra del, del Cerdo, which translates as Journal of the War of the Pig by Adolfo Bioy Casares, where the old people begin to be accosted and attacked by the younger for no reason. There was a movie adoption of this, the adaptation that was released in 1975. Huh. He says about why Narciso Ibanez Ibanez Cerador only made two theatrical films. I will say that. When Who Could Kill a Child hit the Spanish cinemas 40 years ago, it did well, but much worse than his first film. The casting was originally more ambitious. Anthony Hopkins, Michael Caine, and Mia Farrow were considered, but that would have unbalanced the budget, so they resorted to less famous names, although it probably didn't help to attract viewers. And Narciso Ibanez apparently disliked Louis Fiander's performance. I'd heard that on that DVD yeah. too, and yeah. I'm not really. I, I don't know why he had a problem. I didn't have. A, I didn't see. Well, a problem they apparently with it. they apparently or, clashed, or they may just yeah not personally gotten yeah, along. So. Yeah. He says, but the worst drawback was that Who Could Kill a Child was released in Spain with the protagonist dubbed in Spanish. A customary proceeding to this day with films spoken in a different language, but as you can imagine, renders a lot of moments in this one as weird and not in a good way. I can totally see that. I, the yeah. first thing that came to mind was, what's the Spanish word for gracias? Gracias. <laughs> you know, it's like it would be that kind of thing. <laughs> you know, it would just be a yeah, weird... Yeah, they, uh, they, they, would, they really would, would have been much better off keeping the English yeah. people speaking mm-hmm. in English and subtitling them, mm-hmm. and then... Because that would keep, especially for a Spanish audience, would have kept them as foreigners. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. He goes on to say, in 1972, Narciso Ibanez created a game show called Un, Dos, Tres, Responda Otra Vez. That would become a milestone in Spanish television and a tremendously popular program for decades with versions in other countries. In the UK, one of the hostesses was Carolyn Monroe, so here we have a far connection with Paul Nashie. (laughs) I like that. I like the way he's, you know, he's he's helping us out. He's helping us out by justifying all these. Yeah, he says, this probably distracted him, uh, that being Serrador, from making more cinema works, and to this day, most Spaniards remember him as a huge name in television, not as a cinema director. By the way, he has a cameo. Look for the bearded man in an orange shirt when the protagonists leave the bus. Okay. I mentioned dubbing. The first murderous girl is Marian Soldago, who starred in Amando Diasorio's Demon Witch Child and was the Spanish voice for Regan in The Exorcist. That's pretty cool. Says That's this cool. was also her last movie. Uh, it says, finally, some things about the main location. As you know, the town is actually at least two sites. When we see water, it's Menorca's Harbor, but for the rest of the time, it's an island town called Cirillos in Toledo, an inward and almost empty place. 
You can actually visit it without leaving home using Google Maps to see that it has changed for the worst. Most of the solid and rustic buildings have been replaced by unremarkable, flimsy-looking houses. And what looked like the nameless town where Alonzo Quisano dreamed Don Quixote now is indistinguishable from other millions of insipid Spanish towns. It says, also, I have noticed something that you may find amusing. You spoke about the dictator Franco, and the town square we see in the movie used to be called Plaza del Generalissimo. At least that's how it still appears in some internet sites, although now officially is Plaza de Espana, following a law that imposes the removal of Francoist symbols from public spaces. Um, that's interesting, too, because he also, in this letter, he sent a link, that front sent that Google link to that town square oh, okay. that they filmed it in, and it's pretty amazing because... You know, when you go to the Google site, it, it the the day that it was they took this footage or did for the Google looks exactly like the weather. I mean, it's just bright and sunny, and it's kind of <laughs> weird because you can go down all the streets that they filmed in Who Can Kill a Child, and it's almost like you're there on the same day, and it's deserted again. There's hardly anybody out there. There's a couple of people standing out there, wow. but it's kind of interesting to look because it looks like it was at that same time that it was filming. You know, so post uh, post that link on the uh, the Nashicast Facebook page. Okay, we'll, we'll we will. post that link. There. Yeah, we will. We will. So if, uh, he says, another thing that has changed from the 70s is that in Europe, only the Irish are still having children. So an infantile uprising wouldn't be as easy nowadays. He says, <laughs> <that's an issue. laughs> he says at least in Spain, they'd have to defeat hordes and hordes of elders. <laughs> that's pretty interesting. <laughs> Which would probably be easy. He says, well, that's all. Just a small correction before saying goodbye. The children mowing submachine gun is actually a Star Model Z45, not an MP40. They look so similar because the Star is an improved copy. Uh, he says, keep up the good work, guys. Bye. Thanks, Oscar. That was some awesome information there. Oscar, we really that appreciate was, that. That was amazing. Those are the kinds of letters yeah, that yeah. that I absolutely love getting, mm-hmm. which yeah. is in, in, mm-hmm. lots of information, mm-hmm. pointing out where we made mistakes, yeah. giving us things that we had no way of knowing. Mm-hmm. Perfect, wonderful, thank you, And Oscar. lots of stuff we can't pronounce. That's what we really love about it. <laughs> I'm just glad you read that one. Oh, my God. I butchered it, butchered it. <laughs> it's not so bad. Okay, mm-hmm. we've got another one here. This one's from John. I won't use uh, his last name because uh, I don't know how to pronounce it because there are no vowels. (laughs) I will just go with John. He says, hey, guys, I hope you're both well. Just finished binge listening to your last couple of episodes on top of your recent Bloody Pit ones. Really enjoying the series on the films of Ghidorah, Ghidorah, Monster Zero, King Ghidorah. You know who I mean. Uh, Loved your takes on Who Can Kill a Child and The Laurelized Grasp. Both are easily in my top five Spanish horror films for completely different reasons. Just something I noticed and don't know if it was intentional. In Child, in the scene of the English couple retreating to the other side of the island, Evie asks where are all the people? All the children are not considered people? Hmm. I thought of this an interesting choice. I thought this was an interesting choice of words. And it was actually very interesting. Yeah, it is. I, never, an interesting I didn't. Choice I, of we, words. I didn't think about that at all. But that's pretty. Yeah, pretty. Cool that is to point a, that, out. that strikes me as a very specific mm-hmm. word choice yeah. in the dialogue. Yeah. Not just where are the adults, where are all the people. Yeah, huh. right, right. Where are all the people? Not mm-hmm. where are all the adults. It reinforces that whole children just seen, not heard, and not really considered important parts of you know just yeah. kind of there until they're old enough to contribute to society. You know. So. Yeah. I understand you're running low on Nashi, but we'll be more than happy if you continue with these. Uh, that that would be the Beyond the Beyond Nashi episodes. Some more Franco would be much appreciated. However, I did hear you ask for ideas of more Nashi centric episodes, so here are a few. The 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 Valdemar films. I know they are Nashi light, but they are interesting in their own right, and it would be 
it would be interesting to hear your takes on another more modern Spanish film. He's talking about the Valdemar Inheritance, then. The Valdemar Inheritance yeah. and its sequel. I have only seen the first film, which I enjoyed. Same here, and I enjoyed it. It was a really entertaining film, and Nashi, for the small role he has in it, is very good. I mean, it was yeah. a really nice, late, late career thing he got to do. I would, I would definitely like a cho- you know, a chance to check both the films out. Maybe do an episode on the two of them together. Wouldn't be a bad fun, idea. They, do. they are good, and, and and I do think that eventually, uh, in, in the Beyond Nashi uh, series of podcast we're probably going to cover some more recent spanish horror films i can i can see us probably talking about uh things like uh nameless and the wreck movies uh there's some there's some really good juicy stuff oh thesis would be fun to talk about oh as yeah well. it would it thesis really would is be phenomenal yeah uh but uh valdemar films are a good choice he says uh Another, another thing, he says, a review of his autobiography, particularly I'd like to hear your thoughts on his overview of his own career. That could be interesting. You know, that is interesting because we, re- we refer to that book a lot, but we never have actually... We never have actually done an episode just you know tackling that you know real overview of that book itself. That's not a bad idea. Yeah, maybe even a, maybe even a you know I mean I know that there's rumors. I mean you know there are possible potential Nashi books coming out in the future. We've had a couple other books. That, I mean it might be you know it might be cool to at some point uh, kind of uh, collect them all and just do like a kind of overview of books on Nashi. But but it, but that, that, but there's 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 tons of stuff you could say about that autobiography. It's a really fascinating read. So oh, even if we just picked our favorite segments and oh, read them just out read loud. Them because it's so well written. I know that's when you yeah. read that book, you know, and you're just like, man, this guy could have been a great you know writer. This you know? is yeah. There, there's some there's some great tales in that book mm-hmm. that we've not touched on because they don't relate directly to one of the films that we've been discussing. So mm-hmm. yeah, 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 that would yeah. be some great stuff. Uh, he says uh, a retrospective top five of each of your own of his films, kind of our favorite top fives. That would be fun. That, that would be. That would actually be a lot of fun. It would, yeah. I like that idea. Uh, also, I would second the request for an episode on the soundtracks. So that's that's another call for the soundtracks. Yeah, yeah. We've talked about that. That's kind of problematic in a way, a only for the thing that because it would require so much time of really kind of having to go back and revisit some of the films, unless we took it from the tack that we just from our memory. Part of films, there were certainly films from our memory we might be able to just think, remember, like, wow, that well, really had. I wouldn't, and then feel, we could comfortable. Some, I wouldn't feel comfortable just drawing on my yeah. memory. Yeah. Uh, I would, I would really prefer if we if we were to tackle the soundtracks. I would prefer that we dig into finding out a little whatever information we could about the composers, mm. uh, then uh, kind of focus in on the specific ones that really stood out for us, maybe, and then mm-hmm. digging into the composers, you know, uh, finding decent copies of some of the music, if possible, which yeah. may be problematic, yeah. so that we can illustrate our points while we're talking about sure, the, yeah. the, the specific scores and the points that the, mm. the, the, the music makes within the structure of the movie. So it would be... Let's just say it's a heavy lift. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm not against it. No, and we're not I, saying absolutely not because I mean it's a very intriguing idea, but it's just that we'd have to we'd have to figure out that we'd have to game plan now and kind of figure yeah, out the. It's it's a little outside. Okay, no, it's fairly much outside of the realm of my own personal comfort zone, which means that probably I'll end up doing it just to make myself sweat. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I will say that it will take a lot of work and a lot of research, and a lot of research that I don't think is going to be particularly easy to do. Mm. So um, the more I think about the soundtrack thing, the more I think that it's it's a probable, definitely not in 2016, but possibly next year. Yeah, but next I guess, year we might see about tackling that. That's a heavy lift. We'll yeah, see. We'll yeah. see. We'll see. So, um, but the fact that more people keep asking for it, mm-hmm. so. Maybe we'll get lucky with the uh, with the kind of you know possible resurgence in uh, Nashi DVD releases. Maybe there'll be uh, you know maybe there'll be some more soundtrack actual releases. You know, and and uh, 
that kind of Lisa, let's get some soundtracks, you know, that we could actually get and listen to and kind of then maybe at least, yeah, you know, you still want to, you still want to review them in context with the film, but, but having them, having some recorded versions of them would, would help give it maybe, you know, would help to, well, to I don't wanna, help with yeah. the research there. Also, I don't, you know, also there's a part of that discussion that you get into where you start talking about uh, being able to enjoy the mu- the music recorded for a film outside of the context of the film, just as a piece mm-hmm. of music on its own. Mm-hmm. And of course, I've had that experience myself. Oh, where yeah. Movie yeah. there 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 have been movies that I don't like, but I've really liked the scores. Mm-hmm. And it's and in those cases, it has been easy for me to kind of uh, you know separate the two and and enjoy enjoy what I like and and th- you know throw the rest away. But that's a discussion for another day. Yeah. Uh, John ends this with, he says, uh, so sorry for rambling, but you've provided much food for thought. All the best to you both, John. Uh, don't ever worry about rambling. Hey, no, good stuff. Those are, God those are, knows we yeah. do. <laughs> yeah, no, that was great. That was great suggestions there. Thank you. Um, gosh, thank you very much for yeah. writing, both of you, Oscar yeah. and John. Uh, this is the kind of thing that... Um, it's not that we can't look at the download numbers and know that people are out there listening and enjoying the show, but to get the the feedback and to get specific comments really helps us out. It makes us feel as if uh, what we're doing has um, has some kind of uh, I don't know some kind of effect on the people listening yeah. to us. Somebody, yeah. so people are out there not just listening and letting it passively float mm-hmm. through their head and and kind of enjoy it in the moment, but are actually we're actually causing uh, causing you to think occasionally mm-hmm. and to be engaged with us. Really, I don't know. It, it makes us feel fantastic. It makes us yeah. feel like what we're doing is not just enjoyed, but but that we're we're leaving kind of a mark that causes you to think a little bit more about mm-hmm. the, the films that we're talking about, mm-hmm. and maybe uh, will cause you to seek out some things that you've mm-hmm. not watched before mm-hmm. yourself. And always remember that uh, if uh, if you don't want to go the writing route, you're always welcome to send us an MP3, uh, you know, recording if you want to just record your message and. Uh, you can send that, or you're, you can write us, or send MP3 messages to uh, uh, nashicast at gmail.com. Please feel free. You can mm-hmm. join us over on the Facebook page for the mm-hmm. Nashicast at any yeah. time. Join yeah. join up there. Uh, as we get news about uh, more DVD and Blu-ray releases, of course, we post them over there. Sometimes we double post them because. Mm-hmm. It's too exciting, and you got to know about this stuff. <laughs> That's right. I will occasionally find a really cool photograph or a really cool website. I, I did find some some interesting photographs and, and a couple of interesting websites re- related to Helga Lene recently, and uh, people were glad to see that stuff because yeah. there's some really rare and uh, interesting yeah. photographs of Helga that have popped up from uh, the 60s that were quite mm-hmm. intriguing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of weird to see a young Helga in a kerchief, put it that way. <laughs> it's, it's a strange look for her, mm-hmm. but... Thank you once again. Remember, nashicast at gmail.com. Say, type it out or record it and send it to us. All yeah. is good. Yeah. So once again, we'll just point out that uh, next month, Troy and I will be over on the Bloody Pit podcast talking about Godzilla versus Gigan. Mm-hmm. Or is it Gigan? I'll probably keep saying Gigan just because of it. It's probably actually supposed to be Gigan, Gigan? but I've okay. called him Gigan my whole life, and that's probably that's probably what I'll keep calling him. So I am looking forward to that because that is one wackadoo film. It truly is. It truly it's, is. It's... Wow. Yeah. It's a weird one. <laughs> it is it's very really so. weird. <laughs> In October, Troy and I will be back here for a Nashi cast. We're going to do, uh, we're going to uh, take a look back at one of our favorite Nashi films. We're going to talk about Horror Rises from the Tomb. And we're also going to talk a little bit about uh, both Crimson and Count Dracula's Great Love because of their new Blu-ray releases. Very excited oh, yeah. that we're seeing more no, video no. releases of Nashi, of course, and I hope that you are excited about it as well. So, those are our plans for the next couple of months. want to once again thank you guys for tuning in and listening, 
It's always, even if you uh, just enjoy hearing us and don't don't have any specific comments to make to us, that's okay, folks. Yeah. We're glad you're out there, and we're glad that you enjoy what we do. And so. I want to thank Juan, too, for his contributions oh, yet course. again. Thank Sorry. you, Juan. We hope to have you on the show again soon. And, uh, Certainly. And I'll be sending you an order soon for more <laughs> more of that devious, devious uh, merchandise you deal in there. <laughs> <laughs> we live in a world hmm. where... The movie Slugs had just gotten a Blu-ray release. Uh, not not just any Blu-ray release, but uh, but an Arrow, an Arrow, Arrow video, Blu-ray. which will give it the pristine Citizen Kane type of treatment <laughs> that it deserves, I guess. Or, 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 or. <laughs> Arrow, the Criterion of crap. They really what it? I mean, honestly, seriously, they're like if, if somebody they're like a Criterion for for you're right for Criterion for crap, and we love them for it. We I love, love them for it. it. But once again, you're right. Juan from the Creepy Swamps, thank you for calling in and talking to us about Santo versus Dr. Death. And, of course, we look forward to the eventual return of the B-Movie cast as well. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, definitely. All right, folks, wonderful to have you here. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next time. My name... Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, and remember, we here in the, like Santa, we here in the Nashi cast just do what we can to fight crime and injustice. <laughs> you were going to have to get that. I had to. I had awesome. to. Awesome. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> well, the, yeah. That's well, why the, you're the perfect podcasting person. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Thank you very much. <laughs> My name is Rod Barnett. I'm Troy Gwynn. And we will see you next time. Thank God for the Nashi cast. <laughs>